0: Who says fantasy player value needs to be exciting? I'll ask Scott Pianowski, fantasy writer for Yahoo Sports, about boring value, next on Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, July the 27th. It's show number 28 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great Friday full edition for you. We'll have a feature interview with Scott Pianowski, fantasy sports writer for Yahoo Sports, discussing why he likes players with boring value, about next season's top players, his boons and banes, trading, and more. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols looking at Joaquin Soria being traded to Milwaukee, Chris Bryant and Steven Strasburg being traded to the DL, and more. And from the American League, Jock Thompson looks at trades involving Nate Ivaldi, Zach Britton, and other player news. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, In the Minor League Minute, Baseball HQ Minor Leagues Analyst Rob Gordon reports on St. Louis 2018 first round third base prospect Nolan Gorman. And in our frequent flyer commentary, Baseball HQ Analyst Alex Becky looks at Colorado shortstop Garrett Hampson. Later in the show, I'll have our weekly talk with Todd, asking Todd Zola about some stories from the first half. And finally, in Master Notes, I'll be talking about arbitrary endpoints. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The trades are rocking and rolling in the majors. we got to talk some baseball. Plenty of trade winds a-blown since our last pod. We've seen trades involving Nate Ivaldi, Martin Maldonado, Seong-hwan Oh, Zach Britton, Joaquin Soria, J.A. Happ, and there's more to come, I'm sure. Right now, in the first inning of this Friday News and Comment Edition, it's part one of our feature expert interview with Scott Pianowski, fantasy sports writer for Yahoo Sports, and a frequent guest here at Baseball HQ Radio. Scott, welcome back to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Patrick.
0: I always start off by asking how our expert guests are faring in your various leagues yeah it's been a fun league
2: uh, fun fun league fun year um as usual I'm, I'm' having a mediocre tout wars season and if you only looked at my tout wars results over the years, you'd probably think I was a lousy fantasy player, but yeah I play against a lot of these people in other formats and i'm I'm doing well um Yahoo friends and family uh, I'm in second right now I have a chance to win, and my resume there is is very good i'm you know I'm basically the New England Patriots of that league but i you know I've, I've been the Washington generals of tout the last few seasons and man that really stings to me but whatever um I'm labor, middle of the pack. I was uh, in the hunt overall for the great fantasy baseball invitational. I've, I've since fallen the fourth or fifth in my league. The team's still respectable, but I certainly can't win the overall. Uh, hopefully I can move up in that. And then the, the leagues I'm doing uh, um, that are not as high profile, my hometown keeper league, we're second right now, can win. And we. that's really satisfying because we had almost nothing coming back. And the hometown auction I do with friends in Michigan, I have a team that's way ahead. Um, whenever I get bummed about any of my other teams, I just look at that team because it just seems like it's hit all the green lights. There's, there's no, uh, it's just paved road for that team. So uh, I'm enjoying that. And uh, so you know, I have some some runs, some hits, some errors, and all over the map. But uh, I think mostly it's been a good season. I just got to get that. I don't know. I can't come up with a logical reason why two of the last two or three years my Tout Wars teams have not been great, but uh, they've been bad. Last year was was a bad team, and this year you know, I'm near the bottom. So I got to get that black mark erased.
0: I've always been of the opinion that the the better the competition, the more role luck plays in all of it. And you can be a, a, a terrific player, and if you're just not lucky, it's going to have an outsized effect on how you're doing in your league versus if you're playing in a, a home league or a public league somewhere where you kind of get the impression that maybe you, you might be the most well-informed, best-prepared, most strategically thinking guy in the league you don't have to rely on luck so much because you're going to be able to do really well just based on those factors but you get into a tout wars league uh, or i guess labor or any of these kind of experts leagues it really does come down to luck in a lot of ways because you're, nobody's going to hand you any free points during the year or d- at the draft
2: sure those are all fair points and um i don't think i've been particularly lucky in the last couple of years but i mean i have I think I came in second twice in the National League, Tout Wars League, you know, going back in the mid 2000s. But, and uh, a couple of years in the mixed league, I had good teams, but not great teams, you know, teams that were fourth or fifth or something like that. But my overall resume in Tout is not good. And once you start getting a, it's one thing anybody can be unlucky for a season or for a couple of seasons. But I mean, I think my overall Tout resume is deep enough now that it's, you know, it's enough that I'm actually legitimately embarrassed by it. But then I look at, I look at this friends and family league that I always do well in. And it's like, okay, the rest guys are in it. They're in tout wars. Fred Zinke's in it. He's in tout wars. You know, all the Yahoo guys who are in it are, are tout wars, experienced players, Jeff Erickson, uh, Chris list. They're tout wars guys. Uh, Scott Jen's I don't think he's in tout, but he's a, he's an NFBC player. And, and he has a great resume there. I mean, these you know these are all the same people doing, you know, all the same smart things that they would do in another league. So, um, I don't know, maybe there's something to it. Maybe there isn't. Uh, I, I give it some thought, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm I'm, you know I show up to every draft as prepared as I can, and I try to draft as well as I can, and um, you just hope at the end of the year you you have some teams that run well and some teams won't, and and maybe it's just a fluke that you know has been a part uh, has been a league that I haven't run well in, or maybe there's something I don't know. maybe, Maybe that league website, maybe I don't navigate it well enough, and I'm missing out on free agents, or maybe. Uh, there's lines of communication with some of the other owners that I, I need to get better at. Maybe I need to relate to the other owners better. I mean, you know, I have to look in the mirror and try to figure out what I'm doing wrong.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that, but honestly, I think that because the sample size is so small, you're only playing in maybe, what, 10 leagues a year or so, and uh, there's so much going on with so many different guys. Uh, to me, it's a skills versus outcomes question, the same as we would look at you know, a, a player with a, who's historically pretty good, has excellent skills, and is just not getting results, and you, you don't think to yourself it must be something he's doing. And I, I, think, I think it's fairer to put it down to luck, and also it's e- easier on the mirror. <laughs>
2: I appreciate that. I have no problem with that. As Gene McCaffrey used to say, "You show me a great strategy, and I'll show you somebody in first place with that strategy, and somebody in last place with that strategy." And and obviously, any strategy works if you pick the right players. So, um, I appreciate the pep talk. I, look, I, the bottom line is, you know, it's such an honor to play in labor. It's such an honor to play in Tower Wars. It's such an honor, even over the friends and family league for you. Yeah, I was a league that I run. Um, it's it's such an honor to you know to have guys like those Rasball guys, those rotor guys. You know, Fred Zinke, you know people like that, um, Mike Selfino. It's just a, a pleasure to play against these people because you, you, know, Scott Jen said again, great player. Because you want to play against the best players you can, and you know these guys are all as, as nice as the field is. Yeah, I mean Zinke's the nicest guy going. He still wants to, you know, trample you on the baseball Canadian field. guy. So it's just fun to be in a bunch of leagues with those guys.
0: You you mentioned that you're still playing in home leagues, a uh, uh, keeper league, I think you mentioned. Uh, do you find it's easier to make trades in an experts league or is it easier to make trades in a home league where the guys are a little looser?
2: Well, it's easier to make trades in my home league for one simple reason. And I know I've mentioned this before, but I, I, this is just one of the points I want to keep hammering home to people until they take it seriously. In my hometown keeper league, and I say hometown because we all grew up in the same hometown. It turns out we all live all over the map now, but uh, I have a co-owner in that league, my, my friend Scott Cleason, and, and he's a, he's a lawyer. He likes to debate. He likes to, you know, argue, I guess. I mean, he has no problem ping-ponging back and forth if you want to talk politics for an hour or two or, or any number of things. He knows a ton about music, whatever. And we've been co-owners for a while. I had a lot of success in that league as a solo owner, The this quote-unquote Chelmsford League that we call it, even though nobody lives there anymore. But um, I ended up getting a little burnt out I was having a little bit of trouble. I used to always leave the league in trades, and then I, I started to fall off, and I thought maybe I'm, I'm losing my touch a little bit with the trading. And Scott and I are long-time long friends. You know, he's one of my very best friends. And we got together, and it's like, hey, you know, I love doing the free agent work. I love the scouting. I love the, the draft prep work in the preseason. And he really loves, you know, the emails, the, the phone calls, the trade negotiations. And... If you share, you, you need to have the right personality fit. It needs to have be somebody who shares your worldview. And, and uh, people have listened to me on this podcast before. I, I know a lot of this is going to be reviewed because I, I just love to talk about this. But if you find the right partner for a especially in the case with Scott and I, where we, we're good at different things, we're interested in different things, we seem to see the game in a similar way, but you know, we, we are going to help. Hopefully he'll talk talk me out of a bad idea or I'll talk him out of a bad idea sometimes. He is so good at negotiating the trade. is an awesome trader. I think I've done a really good job with the pickups all year. And we took a team that had nothing coming back. We had, like, the worst keepers in this league, and I think it's 14 teams. And right now we're in second, and we're poised to, to maybe win the league, although there's some other good teams, too. Uh, my biggest strategy advice to people, especially as you get older, you get kids, your life gets more complicated. You're thinking, wow, you know, everybody wants to play fantasy football because it's once or twice a week you get to be engaged. Fantasy baseball is a very significant heavy pastime. It, it requires a lot of work a lot of attention and if you find yourself a little bit overwhelmed by it or you just want to have somebody else who cares about your team as much as you do if you can find somebody that you have that similar worldview on as scott and i do i i cannot say enough how uh partnering up can be advantageous and we've seen that in you know fantasy league you know what I mean, like colton and, and the wolfman have a really good record in, res, uh, in resume and tout wars and I've seen some other people in fantasy football leagues who partner up. I really think it's a strong strategy if you have the right person.
0: Yeah, I think Colton and Wolf are, they're leading my league, the American League League. They got 100 and some points, and I think the next team's got 70 some. They're having a fantastic year. They they picked up uh, Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor at the draft, and I think anybody who starts the roster with those two guys is going to be in pretty good shape. Uh, you mentioned uh, talking about trading, and in one of your experts' leagues, you traded Chris Bryant. And to me, uh, it seemed when I read the news, you, you might have given up on a premium player a little too soon. What was your thinking on what looks like selling low on a superstar?
2: I, I did sell low on Bryant. It was just a matter of he didn't look healthier to me. His power numbers had been compromised for too long. It just seemed like, I mean, he didn't hit a home run for like five weeks. and Obviously, seasons aren't linear, you know, when players don't perform at the same level for 20, 26 straight weeks. Good players are going to hit 190 for a month sometimes, and, you know, so-so guys are going to have a week they hit 370. I get that, but it just seemed like there were signs that Bryant was playing injured, and then since then he went on the DL, then he came off the DL, and now he's back on the DL, and uh, they're going to do an MRI. Also, the Cubs may be in a position. I know Milwaukee is close to them, and I, I would love to see the Brewers push them, but maybe the Cubs get in a position where they feel like they have the division in hand and they just don't need to push Bryant. That could be a playing time issue later in the season. Or even even if they're battling for the division, they might feel like, well, it's more important to have him healthy in October than it is to put him on this game. And, and so that, especially in a weekly format where, you know, once September comes around, the DL list isn't around, there's no more rehab assignments, uh, the rosters get expanded. I thought that could be a problem, too. I, I think where I screwed up inadvertently is I, one of the players I got back, one of the key guys I got back for Bryant was Brendan Nimmo. And right after he got hurt, he hurt his hand. He hurt his finger. He had a minor injury. Didn't play for a couple of days. And mm-hmm. since he's come back, he's basically stopped running, and he's just about stopped hitting. So, um, you know, you could argue that I, I bought Nimo at the wrong time. I was I was paying for a, a high inflated version of Nimmo, which I had no problem with. I mean, I thought he was a really good player, and I still do like his on base skills. I think he's got a nice power speed combination. But it may have been that he got hurt at the wrong time, and I, I still think. I, I was playing the right timing with Brian as far as trading him. I I just maybe I think where I did screw up is I, I probably should have engaged more of the league. So I think just you know, hey, Chris Brian's a big name. You throw him out there, I, I probably should have fielded offers and, you know, instead I kinda of threw a challenge offer out to Derek Van Riper who took it. And um I, I probably should have taken more time crafting a a Brian offer and, and not been as eager to maybe to to get a deal done as quickly as I did, but I still think my instincts for trading him were reasonable.
0: I think so, too. When you explain it as you did, I'm curious about the idea of negotiation strategy. Whenever I start thinking about trading one of the guys or more than one of the guys on my roster, I try to kind of anticipate what I'm going to hear from the from the market. And I imagine that what I would hear in a Chris Bryant situation from the marketplace is, yeah, he looks hurt to me, too. And therefore, I'm not going to offer you as much as I would if Chris Bryant were obviously 100% healthy, because you wouldn't be trading him anyway. So how do you answer the question, why are you trading such a good guy, and therefore why should I give you value for him?
2: Well, I think the way I tackled that with Derek is I traded Bryant for some fab. I traded him for a player in Brandon Nimmo, who has a very limited track record. I traded traded him for Rick Porcello, who is one of the guys we'll talk about later. I just think he's a solid player who gets underrated and – you know, a lot of times people throw the baby out with the bathwater on wins. Wins, oh, you can't chase wins. You know, they're fluky. Well, I'll take Rick Porcello throwing six or seven innings backed by the Red Sox offense and bullpen, you know, over somebody throwing six or seven innings for the Padres or for the Royals or, you know, for one of those bad teams. I mean, they just some awful teams. They look how bad the Orioles are. And and a lot of the bad teams now are, are selling their parts. Um, you know, the White Sox have just made a trade today, it sounds like, and, yeah, the the Mets are probably open for business. They traded one of their guys, so bad teams are even getting better all the time. So uh, my idea of trading Bryant was that okay, I probably can't get back the Chris Bryant type of guys. You know, a second round player for him, but maybe I can get you know some Fab. Maybe I can get two or three useful guys. I also got Nico Goodrum, who uh, qualifies yeah. in a bunch of different positions, although you know, he's on the borderline you. of being playable in the mixed league. Um, there's good things and bad things with him. Doesn't have the greatest OBP, but he does have a little power and speed. So I thought maybe there's some upside with him. Mostly, I I got it because I thought Nimo was the real deal, and I, it's been disappointing that he's played so poorly since I got him. But you know, Porcello, a very playable arm. I did get Fab that I needed, and so I, I, I agree with you. You know, could I get the Bryant offer that you would have gotten before the season? No. You know, nobody's going to give me a second round pick or a third round pick for him. But I thought maybe I could craft a deal because usually. You see people all the time who are offering, you know, quote-unquote, two fives for a 10. And then mostly, that that's just silly to take the two fives. You're better off with the 10. I thought in this case, and we can't even call Chris Bryan the 10, the way he's played this season and the way that he's probably hurt. But I thought maybe getting three, four, or five type of players could be worth an eight. That's kind of the way I was looking at it.
0: You also traded Xander Bogarts in an expert league. Uh, you got back Elvis Andrews, and... Again, looking at it in isolation, uh, nobody would trade Xander Bogarts for Elvis Andrews, I don't think. But you had a strategy, and this goes to the core of how trading ought to work. Explain your thinking on uh, giving up Bogarts to get Elvis Andrews.
2: Sure. Well, I was just following your lead. That classic story that you tell of the the time that you traded Mariano Rivera because um, you didn't get much back, but you knew it would affect the category puzzle the way you needed it to. Uh, This is in the Friends and Family League where I'm in second. And my two big needs are batting average and stolen bases. Now, you know Bogarts and Andrews should probably go either way on batting average, and maybe Bogarts is probably the better bet there. But Bogarts isn't running this year, and Andrews has been hurt. Uh, just came back, started to, to do some running. I think he had four stolen bases in the past week. Uh, both of them are in good hitting environments, but there's just something about those Texas games, and when the weather really gets hot, they've just been they've been playing softball games all week. That Oakland Texas series, so. I thought for sure that Andrews would steal more bases than Bogarts. Uh, the power could be close to even. Even if it wasn't, I'm I'm first in home runs by a decent amount. But stolen bases was the category where I had the most ground to move up. Where if, if Andrews could even just be a 10 to 12, 14 stolen base guy, and say Bogarts only got one or two, I mean that could mean four or five points in the standings. And I'm I'm really close to first right now. I think I'm like a point or two out. So uh, I went to the guy who had Andrews. Really couldn't. He really couldn't gain a lot from his stolen bases. I just said to him, "Look, honestly, I think Bogarts is better than Andrews, but uh, I think Andrews could help me more categorically. I think it would be a win-win for both of us." Uh, the guy I made the trade with—he's a good guy, but he's not anywhere near the, the the contention. I think he's just looking to maybe pass a team or two, and you know, improve his standing just for you know for general uh, pride reasons. But it's all about you know. Anybody who listens to this podcast is probably smart enough to know this already, but. You are not trying to win the trade with your PR department. You're not trying to look good in public. You, you, you know, it's not about what the values are in a vacuum, although you should do vetting. And again, I didn't do it with the Brian trade. That was a mistake. Um, but it's about solving a category puzzle. You're trying to make the categories work in your favor. And uh, one of the fun things when you're in the hunt, too, and I, and I do this a lot with the Friends and Family League, is I, I am always in the categories. In the live standings, going through every category, scrolling through it, and figuring out where, where can I gain and lose, where can my opponents gain and lose, what are the categories that are going to decide this league? Um, there's one guy in that league whose his pitching, his ERA and WHIP are so far ahead of everybody else. And I don't understand why he has. He's um, he's on the kind of on the cusp of contention. He's maybe in that second pack, and he could trade pitching without even feeling a, a pinch of it. I mean, he's so far ahead of everybody in ERA and WHIP, and he's a good player too. I don't understand why he hasn't done it. And I, I would actually, I've thought about co- trying to contact him and make a trade, but I'm afraid that if 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 I make him more aware of his situation, I'm sure he he knows it anyway. But I'm afraid that I might make him aware enough of the situation that he'll make a trade that helps somebody else. So I'm a little bit nervous maybe about putting a sense of urgency on his lap w- where it may not end up helping me. But um, again, all about working the categories. It's It's not about, the big name. It's not about what might have looked good in March. Now you're in. it Now the the situation has a personality to it, and it's like a game of poker, right? I mean, if you're playing Texas Hold'em and a flop has a certain texture, you know, on some on some flop on some Texas Hold'em hands, the end of a hand, a pair is really good, or two pairs is really good. If the board has four hearts on it, anybody who holds a heart has a flush. You know, a, a pair of kings doesn't look too good anymore. If, if only one card is needed to make a flush, it's all relative. So, you know, get in, those, get in those category pages. Look at your opponents. When you're trying to make trades, you always want to see what the other side, you know. Look at somebody who's really deep in a category or can't move in a category. Those people, you know, somebody maybe 20 saves ahead of everybody else. Maybe you need a closer. Go to that guy and say, hey, look, you get all these extra saves. You know, um, I could use a closer. I have a bunch of, I don't know, extra home runs or extra stolen bases or whatever it is. I mean, it's not that hard to find win-wins if you just, you know, kind of put in a little elbow grease and understand that category puzzle.
0: But I think you made an excellent point about not alerting a guy to a situation that could end up coming back and biting you on the hindquarters. Uh, you know, if, if this guy you go to him and say, "Look, you could give me Chris Sale, wouldn't re- really hurt your position in those two categories," and he says, "Why? Yes, I could, but I don't like what you're offering. I'm going to go to him and get a, and and then you end up not getting what you wanted and maybe losing out." Funny you say that because
2: he has he actually has Sale in that league too, and you know I, I this may have already come to roost earlier where I needed stolen bases and I went to the team that's blowing everybody away in stolen bases and we talked a little bit about D Gordon and I said well I have some interest in D Gordon but there are a lot of things about him that concern me he hasn't really run much since he came back I wonder if he's still hurt and what ended up happening is we didn't get a trade done for D Gordon but I think I talked him down enough on Gordon that he traded him cheaply to another player and so I, I, I think my you know good faith negotiations and being honest about D Gordon nothing I'm promoting being dishonest but i think i went with good faith to try to make a trade we couldn't make one and that's just the way it goes sometimes yep. but i think i alerted him maybe to some gordon stuff that encouraged him to trade him cheaper to a team that can now hurt me more in the standings
0: well, I don't know if it was in the same league, but on Twitter, you said that uh, you had an offer out for Delano De Shields, another stolen base source, and you offered Mike Mustakas, which to me seems like maybe even a bit of an overpay. The other guy says no, and then he counters by offering you DeShields, but he wants back Anthony Rendon, which is like clearly an overpay. And you concluded the tweet by saying, I've stopped trying to trade in that league. What did you mean?
2: Yeah, that's in a different league. Uh, I'm not going to name the person, but it's somebody uh, in the industry who's an excellent player, a really good guy, and, and very reasonable. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe it was wrong to subtweet him on Twitter, but he's, he's a friend, and I like him, and um, maybe I owe him an apology for, like, bringing this out in public. But uh, this was a little month ago. Uh, I was trying to move up and stolen bases in that league. It's a league I can't win, but I could maybe have a good, sh- a respectable showing. And I really, you know, it, I guess I got frustrated because I put in the work. I, I tried to find out, okay, I need stolen bases. I could use an outfielder. Who is good in stolen bases who has an extra outfielder? And I found a couple of teams that fit that, and uh, including this one owner who had the Shield. So I thought, okay, stockish the shields. You know, I, I think this would probably get done pretty easily. This guy's reasonable. Uh, it didn't happen. I thought the Redone counter was just a little ridiculous. And, and I guess maybe it's just a personality quirk I have, and I'm not saying it's a sh- fantasy strength because you really can't, you know, you shouldn't take these things personally. But the Rendon thing just kind of bumped me offline. I thought, okay, well, we're not going to get anything done. And then later that week or maybe the next week, I saw another team, had stolen bases, had outfielders. Um, I still had Mustakas and other in, uh, infielders I would trade. I just happened to be deep. And I thought Mustakas would fit on this guy's team because he was playing Greg Bird. So I said, okay, how about Moustakas for NCR Day? And he wrote me back and he said, Oh yeah, that's a reasonable offer, but you know, I'm I'm not convinced that Moustakis is better than Greg Bird. And at that point, I mean look, I, he's perfectly fine to think that maybe Bird has some latent upside and you know he started to hit a little bit better of late. But Mike Moustakis had thirty eight on runs last year and he's having an okay year this year. He's only hitting about two fifty. But I would think if I owned Greg Bird and somebody came to me with Mike Moustakis, I could at least agree that Moustakis is probably an upgrade. I mean, you know, the future is unwritten and maybe Greg Bird will put it together, but when he decided that he was fine with uh, his corners because Greg Berg was fine with him, and I was only asking for Enciarte. In- it's not like he's any kind of a world beater. I-, I just thought, you know, these are the people who I match up with that I can't get trades done with. So I just thought maybe that's a league. It's it's a league that has very little trading anyway, and you talked about that earlier. Yeah. You know, is it easier to trade in a home league versus an industry league or an expert league? And I think sometimes... Uh, even though one of the people I'm talking about in this story is somebody who's an active trader, I think a lot of times in industry leagues people might have the fear of, I don't want to look bad. I don't want, I don't want to make a trade that's going to become a headline or a, a joke or it's going to make me look, put me in a bad light. I, I just rather stick with the guys I have. I think sometimes that does come into play in some of our leagues.
0: I can tell you from experience, it comes into play in home leagues as well, especially if you got uh, somebody in your league who's uh, critical of everybody. You know, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that, and isn't shy about sharing his opinions. Because uh, after a while, nobody likes to be talked badly about. And uh, I've been in leagues like that. Uh, somebody asked you on Twitter about giving up a cheap Glaber Torres. I think he had him for six bucks in a keeper league to acquire Mike Trout, and this guy thought he had a pretty good chance to win his league. And of course, Mike Trout's not going to hurt you in that department. Then you said. Player keeper leagues like the league's gonna disband, worry about next year, next year. And I think we all agree with that generally speaking, at least in theory. But are there league contexts, kinds of leagues, league situations where you think you might not go for the win in that situation?
2: Yeah, I mean was it I think it was Joe Sheen who said flags fly forever the first time. I'm not sure if that's his quote, but I think it is. So I've no trouble giving him that attribute that that um, credit for that. But to me, it's about winning if you have a legitimate chance to win. I mean, it's one thing if this guy's going for Trout and he's in seventh place and he needs the planets to line up. I mean, it can happen. Probably not super likely, but it sounded like he was in a really good position. Maybe Trout could be the guy who puts him over the top. And, it's you know, those flags fly forever. I think you, when you're close to winning, you have to go for it. And the idea is, I, th- I think in fantasy and keeper leagues and dynasty leagues, and, and admittedly, I play mostly seasonal stuff. I mean, I, most of my leagues do not have keeper components to them, but I've played in plenty of them, and I've been playing for a long time. I think one of the things that we see in fantasy this happens in, in all fantasy sports, I think the big problem fantasy football, is I think people a lot of times want to play with a telescope when they should be using a magnifying glass, where we should be trying to figure out what we know today, what we know is true right now. I, I see fantasy football people right now are saying, oh, this team has a great December schedule. You're going to want their tight end because wait till you see who he plays in week 15. The world is going to be in, in, you know, football, and baseball, is apples and oranges. I get it. But the NFL is going to look so different in November and December. And by the time that week 15 comes around, that easy matchup, that defense could be a lot better, a lot worse. That tight end could be hurt. Who the heck knows? Let's just try to figure out what we know right now. Let's draft the best team we can. If you want to play the strength of schedule game, let's look at week one or week two or week you know, September as a collective month. I had to switch it back to fantasy baseball. You know, Torres looks really good right now. I, I think he's obviously a fine player. He was a, a touted prospect. You know, the, the, the Cubs at one point had this ridiculous amount of prospects, and they've, they've since given up a lot of them to get better on the field. And they, again, fly, fly forever. That 2016 championship banner will fly forever in Chicago. God knows they were starved for it so good for them but um to me let's play with a magnifying glass let's play for today and you know torres of course has played a lot of keeper league trades are made for guys who are still in the minors it's still theoretical upside at least with torres we've seen him on the field and seen him produce and we have a better sense of or more a higher confidence level of saying that he's a very rosy future in, in addition to a rosy present but i trust the number one player of the game i You know, again, let's play for today. You know, that Keeper League team, you know, every league is different. Whenever you talk about anything like this, somebody's always going to say, well, in my league we have this specific rule and our league is, you know, set up this way and people do this and do that. Obviously you have to play to your room. You have to play to your context. Every league is different. You know, it's all contextual. I get it. But, um, yeah, I think the league that I'm in, my Keeper League team, the fact that we had nothing coming back and we're in the hunt, Uh, That that happens. I mean, you know, you just get to beat people on the waiver wire, or you you have to maybe make a couple of good trades or have a good draft or a good auction, whatever. But I think we don't do a good enough job of appreciating what we know right now, and I think we overrate our ability to be accurate with projecting the future.
0: And finally, on Twitter, you said uh, there are a million stats that love Chris Archer. But we still live in an ERA world. What did you mean, and how does that affect how we think about the Chris Archers who who have the great skills but not the great results?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, he he always is, seems to be underperforming his peripherals, and as much as the, you know, a lot of pitchers, it bounces back and forth. You know, one one year they're quote unquote unlucky, one year they're quote unquote lucky. There's some guys who very consistently have ERAs that are you know, supposedly worse than they should be or better than they should be. Uh, for years, Matt Cain used to beat his suggested ERA. For for years, Steven Strasburg, who comes with another, you know, whole other bunch of, um, you know, flags with him and worms with him. He's back on the DL. He's somebody who usually doesn't get the ERA he's quote-unquote supposed to have, although I think last year he beat it, but most of his career he hasn't. And so I, maybe there's just things in FIP or things in in Sierra, or things in expected ERA, or, you know, all the different metrics. We have some great stats that tell us, quote-unquote, what somebody's ERA should be. But when somebody continually doesn't beat it for whatever reason, I start thinking that, you know, maybe this is caught, maybe I can't necessarily attribute what this is to, but I've seen it happen too many times. I think Chris Archer is priced a tier above where he should be every year because people are just waiting for that makeup season people just waiting for Chris Archer to have the quote unquote lucky season where you know m- maybe he gets uh, the wins that he hasn't been getting or, or maybe he gets the ERA that's better than his peripherally suggested ERA and he's been the other way for so long that I I, I he's like a guy that I go into draft thinking I'm not even going to have him because there's always one guy who thinks he you know it's like the and I know this is a total apples and oranges but like the guy at the roulette wheel who's like well it's been red 10 times in a row it has to be black sooner or later well yeah Sooner or later, that could be 20 spins. That could be 25 spins. I mean, you know, you can't – and again, a roulette wheel is not like a, a baseball pitcher who's a human thing and you know all that. I mean, a roulette wheel is just a, a piece of machinery, although they can have biases too. I mean, you know, it may be hard to know where they are. We may need to see thousands of spins before we realize that. I'm not saying anybody should go play roulette. Although Chris Archer sure feels like a roulette wheel sometimes. But uh, when he's proven time and time again that he can't meet his expected ERA, I think that maybe there's something these stats aren't picking up on that Chris Archer is failing at. And I, I again, I, I think he's overrated by a tier every year, and, and I'm just not in on that.
0: I used to be a roulette dealer in a casino, and uh, I can tell you that nobody's ever going to be able to watch a certain wheel for thousands of spins to see if there's a bias because the, every night or every so often they take them all off and shuffle them around different tables so you never know. Which which wheel it is, they all look exactly the same. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt talking mostly about baseball, but sometimes about casino gambling uh, and other forms, with Scott uh, Pianowski from Yahoo Sports. Uh, Scott, you said on Twitter and elsewhere that you're a big fan of what you call boring value. I think this is a great idea. First, explain what you mean by boring value.
2: Oh, it's one of my all-time favorite things. I, I used to talk about, now this has become a dated reference, which tells you how long I've been around, I used to talk about the Raul Abanez All-Stars, which, a guy who didn't do much in his 20s, became a good player in his 30s, and um, because he had no pedigree, he was never a rated prospect, he was such a you know, disposable player for such a long time, people would go to drafts and just think, okay, whatever, Abanez, he had a good season last year, he's not really interesting to me. Oh, he's been good for a couple of years, whatever. I'll take somebody, there's always going to be somebody younger, sexier, more rated on the prospect list, buzzier. And I love to take productive players who, the boring, you know, we know what he, we kind of know who he is, but you know, he's consistent. Maybe a lot of times these are guys who are um, uh, versatile players, guys who do four or five things well, but don't necessarily do one thing extremely well. You know, what Merrifield is the guy I've been focusing on this year. Boring team. You know, a team that's nowhere near contention. He doesn't have a bunch of home runs. Uh, he hits for a good average, but it's not over 300. But he's getting on base. Uh, He's running a lot in a season where there aren't a lot of stolen bases to be had. He qualifies at a bunch of different positions. If I were a major league club, I would be trying to get Whit Merrifield because, I mean, he came up late, came up without a pedigree. I I can't imagine the Royals think that their next great team will have Whit Merrifield on it. And I don't think the people of Kansas City would be picketing if Whit Merrifield would be traded. Um, But he could really help a contender where he could play, you know, second base. He could play the outfield. You can play him at first base in a pinch he's good enough to be a number one or a number two hitter, even on a contending team, because the on-base percentage is good, hits the occasional home run, and you know, there's nothing exciting. You know, Merrifield was a guy who came up and figured it out at age 28, 29, whatever he was last year, and you know, people, when they get surprised by a player like that, you think about Jose Bautista, who, when, when he finally figured it out, a lot of people the next year, and granted, what Bautista did was, you know, a lot more explosive and important than what Merrifield did, but It's almost like people are mad, like, oh, where'd this come from? I don't trust it. You know, is it enhanced in some way? Is it inauthentic in some way? The next year after Bautista's breakout year was such a great buying opportunity because people didn't want to be the sucker. I saw people this year not wanting to be the sucker on Whit Merrifield, oh, you know, I'd never heard of this guy. He was never on my prospect list. You know, how could he can't be this good? And he ends up being a tremendous value. Again, boring values. And and, in the case of Merrifield, you had to take maybe a leap of faith because he hadn't done it before but you see guys like Lorenzo Cain or or Shinsu Chu um, I, I called him underrated Chu recently on Twitter and somebody said well he's you know the Rangers are, are paying him you know all this huge contract you know he get overpaid it's, it's funny to me how often people care about that I, mean, I don't have to pay Shinsu Chu's contract I just want him to get on base hit some home runs score a lot of runs you know again in that Texas lineup which I think is a, such a good place to hit and um, you know I, I don't care. That Sometimes I think that the salary is what a player gets. If a player is overpaid or underpaid in the perception of the public, sometimes it seems to enter a fantasy discussion. I don't get that. Uh, but anyway, I think some of these guys, I think a Merrifield is a boring vet. Jed Lowry, he got off to a hot start. And people got mad. Like, Jed Lowry's not this good. Well, yeah, of course, everybody who's playing over their head is going to come down to some level. But uh, he's hit two ninety two over the last month with more walks than strikeouts. He's still a very useful player. I thought he'd also be a great player for somebody to trade for, but now the A's are uh, a real-life team, that is. But now the A's are in the hunt, and they're probably going the other way where they're buyers right now. But uh, Merrifield, Jed Lowry, Shinsu Chu, as Azdrubal Cabrera, another multiple-position multiple guy who has his buzzy years. people, are, Nobody's excited to get Cabrera in our uh, keeper league. We got him in the 31st round. People just thought, okay, what, what's there to do here? We just want him to hit 15 home runs. It turns out he hit that in the first half. Jesus Aguilar showed power from Montreal and Montreal for Milwaukee last year. And then I heard somebody say he came out of nowhere. I mean, his slugging percentage last year was good. His home runs were good last year. He just needed a chance to play. It opened up. He, he's become one of the most important parts of that Milwaukee offense. I, I, again, you know, just because somebody wasn't a star at 25 or on the top 100 prospects or they didn't get a chance to play, they were blocked by somebody. You know, Jason Worth was a late bloomer. Used to be a catcher. You know, he bounced around different organizations. Took Kurt Schilling a while to find it. He went to all. He may never find it politically, but he uh, he went to a bunch of teams. Was a reliever for a while before he you know he figured it out. Um, I love these guys. I'm I'm not trying to market my team. I don't need the most exciting team. I don't need all the hot rookies. Um, I like just guys who produce. And if somebody is a little cheaper to me because they're versatile because they contribute in several categories, but they don't blow one category away, if that leads to the player being cheaper, if it leads to the player being cheaper because he's on a low-market team or he's on a team like the Royals, doesn't get a lot of attention, that's fine with me. I'll take that boring value all day long.
0: It's a great concept. We'll talk more about it a little later on in the show. Uh, We're going to send you to the bench for a while, take a breather, grab maybe a look at the tape, as Ray Murphy likes to say, and we'll have you back in a few minutes. How's that sound? Oh, it sounds great. Scott Pianowski writes about fantasy sports at Yahoo Sports, and he'll be back a little later in the show. Coming up, our Market Watch reports on player news from the National League and the American League. That's next on Baseball HQ Radio. He levels the bat a couple of times. Shall kicks and he fires Rose Wayne.
1: HQ Radio.
0: and welcome back to baseball hq radio i'm patrick davitt time now for our market watch player news reports jock thompson is on deck with the american league and leading off it's our national league report and our old friend baseball hq analyst harold nichols nick welcome back to baseball hq radio
3: thank you patrick always good to be here lots of news going on this week
0: Yes, there is uh, another trade to report. Uh, Joaquin Soria moves to Milwaukee from his closer role in Chicago with the White Sox. Uh, they get two prospects back in Chicago. Uh, I guess the issue here is what was uh, Joaquin Soria's role likely to be in this new situation? they A pretty good bullpen there in Milwaukee.
3: They do now have a very good bullpen. He'll probably drop back into a setup role, I think, at this point. Uh, in term, uh, certainly Corey Nebel is not going to be, uh, displaced at this point. He's pitching very well. But Soria is also having a very good season. A 152 BPV and 11.4 Dom, uh, 63% first pitch strike rate, 15% swinging strike rate. Really doing very, very well and will really, uh, add a lot to the, to the back end of that Brewer bullpen.
0: So we're not anticipating any loss of saves for Knabel. Uh, what about the Josh Hader situation? Where does he now fit in with the addition of Joaquin Soria? Is he moved back or up, or are they going to mix and match?
3: Uh, they may mix and match. It looks to me like probably Hader will move back into the seventh inning. So you've got Hader in the seventh, Soria on the eighth, canable in the ninth, uh, and really a very strong back end of the bullpen uh, now for Milwaukee.
0: I wonder also, uh, Josh Hader, at least earlier in the year, was doing a lot of, uh, or a lot more, I guess I should say, multi-inning stints. I wonder if they might uh, reserve him for that kind of role.
3: Well, that's certainly possible. I mean, that would that would then give them something if they needed a, uh, had a starter flame out early. And then uh, Hader could move in to kind of pick up the slack in the middle innings. And and that certainly is possible that that could, uh, uh, could occur. And, of course, that's always good for owners with the kind of strikeout rates that Hader's been getting.
0: Earlier in the show, Nick, I was talking with our expert guest, Scott Pianowski, about Chris Bryant. Uh, Scott traded him in a league he was in because he got tired of the injuries. He was thinking that there might not be a future for Chris Bryant this year. And sure enough, uh, Chris Bryant, who was on the DL then back off the DL, is now back to the DL. He's got some left shoulder inflammation. Tom Kephart covered this for Baseball HQ's playing time today. Uh, not, not a good season for Chris Bryant. Uh, should we be officially worried?
3: Yeah, I think at this point we need to be at least for this season. I mean, we've got uh, we've got uh, left shoulder inflammation again. He's been battling shoulder issues for over a month, uh, including another DL stint. At this point, we've reduced his playing time by 20 percent, uh, and it's really unclear how long he'll be out. Um, so uh, power metrics have fallen a lot from 2016 peak. Uh, so I think there's a lot to be worried about with Chris Bryant at this point.
0: In the meantime, how does the playing time shake out? Uh, they're all of a sudden down a third baseman.
3: They're down to third baseman, and then then also uh, Javi Baez has been having some uh, some uh, knee problems, day-to-day kind of knee problems. So uh looks like Ben Zobers will get a boost in playing time. Uh, David Boat uh, could get a boost in playing time uh, here and there, and uh, Tommy La Stella will get a boost in playing time. So a lot of kind of mitts and match, I think, going on in the infield at this point in Chicago, certainly at least until uh, uh, until Baez is back uh, ready to roll.
0: In Washington, Steven Strasburg, who spent a good part of his early career on the DL, is back on the DL now, and he's got a pinched nerve in his neck. And Phil Hertz covered this for Playing Time today. I hear a pitcher gets a pinched nerve in his neck. I wonder, has he been watching a lot of home runs fly out of the park?
3: Well, yeah, you wonder about that, don't you? <laughs> it's certainly a thing to think about. I, You know, what can you say? I mean, Steven Strasburg has been a great pitcher when he's able to pitch, but uh, here's a guy with an injury history going back to the DL, uh, after a very unimpressive start, I mean, who would have expected that? As uh, as Phil says, um, no indication of how long he may be may be out. Track records suggest he'll be out at least a few weeks, uh, and uh, could be out even even longer. Uh, the Nats have recalled Tommy Malone to take his place to take his, take his place on the July 26th night. Um, Tommy Malone, a 4.72 xera, 71 BPV. Uh, for his career. So not, not a great replacement, probably going back to the minors after that one start.
0: I wonder, Nick, uh, Washington, I was reading the other day uh, on one of the baseball websites and the analyst was talking about the possibility that Washington's going to look at the standings and they're going to say, you know what, as much hope as we had for this year, it's just not going to happen. I wonder if they might just shut down Steven Strasburg for the uh, duration in the hopes that maybe he gets right for next year.
3: That's certainly possible. I mean, it's, it's certainly possible that they would do that, uh, especially as they as they get closer to the end of the year. And I really do take a look at the standings. It'll be interesting to see what moves Washington does or does not make. Uh, they've been tied to several uh, several players over the, the course of this uh, this trading period. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they actually do uh, over the course of the next week.
0: By the way, uh, Steven Strasburg, highest home run rate of his career, 1.3 per nine. So maybe that had something to do with that neck issue. Uh, According to Baseball HQ's updated injury information, Strasburg will likely be out until the first week of August, but it could be a little longer than that. And by the way, I'll just put this uh, bug in everybody's ear. The same story that was uh, talking about the, the Nationals thinking about their status as far as making the playoffs this year mentioned that Bryce Harper's a free agent. Could they trade Bryce Harper?
3: Well, that's interesting. I, you know, I would think they might, uh, uh, they might attempt to sign Bryce Harper instead of trading him. But uh, certainly something to look at, and they could get a, a whale of a lot back for him.
0: Nick, it hasn't been a good, a good news year for the Cincinnati Reds, and now one of their few bright lights has gone out rookie outfielder jesse winker uh, who has been pretty impressive in his uh, debut in the big leagues was placed on the 10-day dl because of what they're calling a right shoulder subluxation i'm no orthopedist i don't even know what that is but it doesn't sound good this the team recalled a mason williams an outfielder from triple a and put infielder alex blandino on the 60-day dl so he's finished for the year uh what are we going to make uh, make out of the cincinnati roster with all of these changes
3: yeah and in fact jesse winker is done for the year as well um that's, you know, really too bad. Winker was, was, uh, playing very, very well, swinging a very hot bat. A, uh, hit 442 in July after a 309 batting average in June, showing increased power, looking really, really good. So in the keeper league, he's a guy to hang on to, uh, for this year. If it's a, a redraft league, uh, he's gone for the year. We've kind of wiped his playing time out, got a 75% playing time loss. Uh, he will probably not be back at all this season. Um, at this point, there's a real hole in the Cincinnati outfield. Scott Shubler is on the DL. Uh, the immediate playing time beneficiary is going to be Philip Irvin. Uh, but that's likely only to, to uh, happen until Shubler comes back from the DL, which should not be too long. And so we're showing overall a playing time gain of 10% for Shubler, a 15% gain for Adam Duvall, 10% for Billy Hamilton. There really have been a four-man rotation going on in the Cincinnati outfield, and now it'll come down to those three, Shubler, Duvall, and Hamilton handling the, uh, the entire outfield situation in most instances.
0: And if you were looking at Jesse Winker as a dynasty or keeper league player, there's one stat that really jumps out at me for a, for a young rookie player. He's got more walks than he has strikeouts this year at the major league level. That's really something.
3: It really is something. I mean, you know, you, you, you like that any time you see it in a player, but sometimes at the major league level especially, that's something that has to develop. And for a guy to come up and do that immediately uh, suggests something about his, his really his plate control uh, and definitely someone to hang on to in a keeper league.
0: One other guy that jumps to mind with the same experience, I think Reese Hoskins walked more than he struck out at when he started last year, didn't
3: he? I think so. I think you're right. And that uh, that certainly has played out fairly well this season.
0: Oh, has it ever. Uh, the New York Mets, also a sad luck team, uh, got some more bad news. Outfielder Ioannis Cespedes is going to miss the rest of the season. He's having surgery on both his heels to repair calcification around both Achilles. Ouch.
3: Ouch. Yeah, that sounds really bad, doesn't it? Oh, my goodness. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And one has to wonder how that's going to affect his, uh, his career as he progresses after this point. But definitely an ouch.
0: What happens in uh, in New York as far as their outfield situation?
3: So with Festus out for the probably out for the season, having season-ending surgery, uh, looks like Jay Bruce will get extra playing time. We're giving him a twenty-five percent playing time bump at this point.
0: It might be good news for Bruce, but maybe not for his owners. He's been terrible this year.
3: He's been awful. I mean, it's a two twenty-nine uh, xba a one ten xpx over two hundred and twelve at bats. Had been off to a terrible, terrible start. So uh, it's one of those things that'll be be. Uh, a coin flip, maybe, from now on. Bruce has been so good for so long, and if he recovers to play anything like he was playing even a year ago, uh, he could be dynamite down the stretch. On the other hand, uh, he may just continue the kind of, uh, we're seeing some aging on Jay Bruce, uh, and he may just continue the kind of playing time that he's been uh, playing, uh, level that he's been showing so far this season. So uh, really a coin flip, I think, on how Jay Bruce does between now and the end of the year.
0: Baseball HQ analyst Phil Hertz saying it's far from certain that Jay Bruce will prove to be a fantasy asset. Well said.
3: I think it's well said, definitely, yeah.
0: Finally, Nick, uh, Brandon Belt, uh, first baseman in San Francisco, off to a great start. Then he started to struggle. Now he's on the DL. Uh, Good news for San Francisco is that they were were able to activate third baseman Evan Longoria. But uh, what's going on in San Francisco with the infield situation? Well,
3: well, what's going to happen in the infield probably is that uh, um, Longoria certainly goes back to third base. Uh, We'll get some first base time out of, uh, out of uh, Posey and when he's not catching Uh, and uh, Pablo Pablo Sandoval will move from third base to first base now uh, playing uh, pretty much every day. Uh, So the infield will have uh, Sandoval at first, Longoria back at third uh, for, for the, uh, the, the time being, it's hard to tell how long belt is going to be out. We have him out indefinitely. The numbers have been just, uh, just awful over the last two months. I mean, Belt started out with a 11 home runs and 31 RBIs in April and May. Looked like he was going to have his first uh, a 20 home run season, maybe even a 30 home run season. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the last two months, June and July, have not been very good. Three homers, uh, 12 RBIs, and a batting average that dropped from about 315 in the first two months of the year to around 230 in June and July. So uh, I, I don't know. I'd be pretty well ready to write Brandon Belt off if I were an owner. Uh, this is a uh, continued disabled list uh, story from Landon Belt as it's been for much of his career.
0: All right, Nick, thanks very much for the news update on the National League. Uh, We'll talk to you again in a week's time uh, after the deadline.
3: All right. Thank you, Patrick.
0: Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst with BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League and Baseball HQ Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show.
4: Hey, PD, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, uh, thank you. I've been waiting all... since the break for some trades to start happening. We saw the Machado deal, of course, and wondered what might be next, and it turns out there's going to be some pitching deals to talk about, starting with the Red Sox. Uh, they were in the hunt for some pitching, and they finally acquired Nate Ovaldi from Tampa, and they sent down a pretty promising rookie in Jalen Beeks. We'll talk about him in a second. It looks like the Red Sox have a couple of rotation spots open for Ovaldi to take over. Matt Dodge covers the uh, American League East in playing time today. What does that picture look like in Boston?
4: Well, yeah, and Matt outlines it pretty well. Uh, Drew Pomerantz has been pretty awful this year. Eduardo Rodriguez is out indefinitely with ligament damage in his ankle. You and I talked about that last week. Um, Brian Johnson has been taking over uh, one of the, those two rotation spots, uh, uh, and it and it looks like it looks like Ivaldi could slip in pretty much anywhere in the back of that rotation. Uh, um, I think the way the way Matt has the playing time set out. Um, he thinks is going to get more innings than anyone other than uh, Chris Sale, Rick Porcello, or, or David Price. And uh, Pomerantz and Eduardo Rodriguez and Johnson bringing up the rear. So the Red Sox have some choices, but some are better than others.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem to be the kind of huge change that uh, I think a lot of people are expecting Boston to make. But Eovaldi's been pretty good this year, especially considering when you look at his past skills, he hasn't always been that terrific. But I was looking at his line, and, uh, and uh, you know, a four twenty six ERA is nothing to to scream about, but he's been pretty unlucky, and he's got an o ninety eight whip. And to me, that really is an eye-opener. And the main reason for it, I think, is... He's raised his uh, DOM rate from seven strikeouts per nine over eight, eight and a half, and his Walk rate uh, control ratios down from around three to one point three, so he's got a six point six strikeout per walk ratio. That's an eye opener, Jock, and maybe playing for a a better team, a little better organized defensively. Obviously, they're going to score more runs. This could be a real opportunity for Nathan Ivaldi and his fantasy owners.
4: Yeah, you and I are in agreement on this one. In fact, right now I'm looking at Ivaldi's last five games. He had one stinker in the whole bunch, and in the other in the other four, he allowed a total of three runs. Um, this is one of the best stretches I've seen him on. He's fresh off of, well, not fresh off of, but he's been off of Tommy John surgery for a long time. His velocity is up. I think this could be a very good pickup for Boston.
0: Yeah, having said that, uh, I noticed a couple of PQS 4 and 5s in there. He had that stinker against Minnesota that you mentioned. Gave up eight earned runs in two and two-thirds innings, But uh, and that's that's one of the things that has really inflated that ERA, of course. Uh, I think uh, Nathan Ovaldi I, I suspect that if he's in your league and uh, and somebody owns him and it's not you, the chances of you acquiring him now have probably gone down because, uh, of course, everybody's going to look at the playing time situation and go he goes from playing in Tampa where they don't score runs and aren't particularly good defensively to a uh, basically a World Series contender that does everything well. you got to like Nathan Iovaldi right now. On the other side of this deal, Jock, Tampa has now made a couple of moves, uh, trading off Iovaldi as we mentioned. They sent Matt Andriesta Arizona they've also put Blake Snell on the DL with shoulder problems uh, shoulder fatigue they're calling it this seems like a sudden very sharp reduction in the number of available starting pitchers they have for their arms what are they going to do about that and could we see more of these bullpen pre-lever starting games
4: yeah, well, they're, they've always been kind of the the king of bullpen games. Tampa has at least uh, this year, and I'm looking at how we have their playing time set up at the at the Baseball HQ site. Uh, Tampa Bay is really depending on on Blake Snell and Chris Archer right now. Um, I'm not sure how how uh, how well that uh, 13% Blake Snell projection is going to play out. To, uh, Hopefully, and and Tampa Bay is sounding like this is just a precautionary measure. Uh, He threw three very good games and then a clunker before he got put on the DL. Um, But here we are. We're entering August, so um, um, it's not a good thing. We'll have to see what happens to Snell.
0: Meanwhile, uh, they have jalen beaks we mentioned coming in from boston he appears set to slide into one of those open rotation spots i presume that's what you think is going to happen how do you think he's going to do in tampa he scuffled pretty badly in two starts with boston
4: we have beaks projected for 26 innings uh going forward which uh isn't a whole lot um and you just wonder who else uh, Tampa Bay is going to start throwing uh, at, at some of these bullpen games. Uh, Beaks' innings could easily go up. I, I haven't looked at his minor league numbers, but if he's used to pitching more than uh, than five, six innings a game, that projection might be at awful. At Triple-A
0: Pawtucket, Matt Dodge noted that uh, Beeks had a DOM of 12.1 strikeouts per nine and a 4.7 strikeouts to walks uh, in 87 innings over 16 starts, so that's about five and two-thirds innings per start. Pretty normal for a young pitcher these days. Uh, I assume we can expect a little bit less in that department when he goes uh, up to the big league level. Uh, it's going to be a, a, an interesting thing to watch, I think, how Jalen Beeks does because he goes in the opposite direction, of course, that Ivaldi does. He goes to a worse team with fewer runs scored in a worse environment. All of these kind of things that uh, mitigate against him doing well. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. The playing time today coverage also mentions the Tampa recalled right-hander Chi Wei Hu from Durham when they put Blake Snell on the DL. He's a relief pitcher. Is there any chance that he'll be one of these pre-relievers who opens a game, and that we can therefore say that of the Tampa rotation, uh, who's on first?
4: Oh, definitely. He's uh, who is who is definitely a multi-inning reliever. That's something uh, Abbott and Costello left out. So. He could pitch uh, as long as he's effective, as long as he's not uh, not giving it up. Uh, he could he could be another one of those Tampa Bay guys. They seem to come up with them.
0: Boston's big rival, the New York Yankees, weren't sitting still in the trade front either. They were rumored to be in the market for a starting pitcher. Instead, they acquired Baltimore closer Zach Britton, giving up some prospects and adding another left-hander to that bullpen along with our oldest Chapman who's been scuffling of late. It's a big hit for Britton, obviously, out of the save picture from a fantasy perspective. Uh, Although, you know, there's a chance he's got the background. If Chapman is not right physically, maybe Britton could lock into a few saves there. Matt Dodge, obviously busy covering the uh, Boston Red Sox and the Yankees for playing time today. What what does the closing situation now look like in baltimore
4: well it's interesting even though the, the orioles aren't a very good team and they're not going to win that many games but they got a couple of guys like brad brock and uh, michael gibbons who in the past have shown some skills they've scuffled a little bit this year i personally think buck Walter walters so has overused gibbons and just I, I don't particularly like his usage i'm a gibbons owner in one of our deep leagues um but I think either of those guys would be, would be viable closers uh, uh, for the rest of the year without, uh, without hurting you too badly. We've got two months to go. Um, you know, you, you could get five to ten saves out of those two names. Um, it's an interesting situation in Baltimore for fantasy owners.
0: And, of course, there's also the possibility that Brad Brock could be traded out, although he's been really shaky lately. Uh, in July, I think he's given up eight runs or something in seven innings, so he hasn't looked good. So, uh, And Michael Givens hasn't looked that good either. I have him on my American League Tout team, and, and uh, he's definitely scuffled, and I believe overuse might be a bit of the problem as well. Meanwhile, the Yankees sent over a guy, uh, Dylan Tate, is the headliner coming back. Is there any chance Dylan Tate pitches for Baltimore this year?
4: You know, in this day and age, it's very possible. I mean, good Lord, I mean, Baltimore really does need pitching help. Uh, Tate, uh, is his, his highest level of experience is in A, but he's doing very well this year. Um, it, 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 the, way, the way pitching goes down, and if, and if Baltimore wants to get a jump on, on 2019 to see what Dylan Tate's about, um, they, they, it, it won't cost them anything because obviously they're not in the running. So um, this is something I'd watch. Dylan Tate's a pretty good prospect
0: especially if you're in a league that doesn't allow you to pick up uh, these minor leaguers until they do get on the major league rosters. A lot of old-format leagues don't allow that, and uh, I would suspect he won't be called up till September. There's no reason for them to start his service time clock. They're going nowhere, as you say. Uh, another pitching trade, and this one was really surprising to me. Not that the Mets traded Juris Familia their closer— but that Oakland traded for him. a uh, Bullpen fortification, I think Jock, you'll agree, is now being clearly seen by these teams as a way to get their pitching staff stronger to play in the playoff series that are coming. This means Oakland thinks of itself as a contender, and you wrote about this, the A's suddenly changing their status from maybe not to maybe maybe so. In playing time tomorrow, you cover the American League West. What does this tell us about the A's and the structure of their bullpen for the balance of the season?
4: Well, I'm a bit of a West Coast homer in terms of watching my baseball out here. And uh, uh, I, for what it's worth, I, I personally think this is one of the most undercovered stories in baseball today. And, and it does have some fantasy ramifications. The A's have been 25-7 and 7 since June 16th. They're 16 games over 500. they They're a game and a half out of the wild card. Now, who knows if it's going to continue. But like you said, it's changed their whole attitude in terms of their trade deadline uh, approach. Uh, Their biggest problem is their rotation, and they're going to look for pitching along the fringes. Not that uh, Familia is is necessarily a fringe pitcher. He's a little better than that, but they sure didn't give up much to the Mets to get him. And I think that's how the A's are going to play this. Uh, They're going to keep looking for pitching, whether it's starters or relievers. Um, Behind uh, uh, Trevor Cahill and Sean Manea, they've got a bunch of four, five, six-inning guys. Uh, They're going to need that kind of help. They're going to be active in the trade market, though, so they're a team to keep an eye on.
0: Do you think when you say active in the trade market that they're going to be looking at starting pitchers, or are they going to keep trying to get better in the bullpen?
4: I think they'll get what take what's given them. Let's, I mean, right now there's there's certainly a team like the A's. If a team offers them a starting pitcher or a reliever, um, and and doesn't ask for much in return, like the Mets hid, did did uh, here, uh, the A's are going to listen.
0: And they're a well-run team, we know that for sure. Uh, Of course, uh, besides trades, there's other news in the American League, and it certainly wouldn't be uh, an AL Market Watch news report here at Baseball HQ Radio without an injury to report, and this one is a whopper. Gary Sanchez, the slugging catcher of the Yankees, uh, returned from the DL with a, with an injured groin. He's now back on the DL with the same groin problem. This is uh, news that's both uh, sad and disheartening for Gary Sanchez and his owners. Matt Dodge, of course, covering the Yankees for playing time today. What's the situation here, and who's going to be behind the plate for the Yanks?
4: Well, it's interesting because Sanchez had just gotten off the, uh, the DL uh, with the strained, the strain groin, um, I don't think he even last his last his first game back. He's had a horrible season, uh, 188 batting average, except for some power, uh, 14 home runs and 276 plate appearances. But um, I'm pretty sure the Yankees are going to wait for a while to 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 see uh, to see how Sanchez responds on this. Uh, Austin Romine is getting Sanchez's at bats and. Yeah, particularly in two catcher leagues, he's been pretty good this year, surprisingly so. 262 batting average, 469 slugging. He's really thrived in Yankee Stadium. So, uh, you know, and maybe, maybe even in, in deep one catcher leagues, uh, Austin, Austin Romine's worth a look right now.
0: I thought so, too, when I saw the news that uh, it's going to be one of those situations, and we've seen these before, I think, Jock, where you have a capable backup catcher. He comes in once or twice a week, doesn't kill you, odd home run here and there and then for reasons uh, that could range from trades to injuries or whatever, becomes the full-timer and immediately starts playing way worse. And I think that's the risk here when you talk about Austin Romine having a good season that's a bit out of character, although catchers tend to start having their good seasons a bit later on in their in their careers. But is there a risk here that Austin Romine will take all these extra plate appearances and immediately revert to form, which isn't very good?
4: Oh, sure. There's always that risk, particularly in a, in a two-month period. On the other hand... At least right now, pitchers have been overlooking Austin Romine in that lineup. They've obviously uh, they're they're obviously more likely to pitch to him than a lot of other guys in that Yankee lineup. Uh, you know, again, he's a guy I wouldn't I, I would certainly consider taking a chance on. I mean, if you as long as you're not expecting uh, the second coming of Johnny Bench, uh, you know, you could you could be pretty happy what he do, what, what he does over these final months.
0: Maybe given the team the second coming of Thurman Munson or uh, Elston Howard or somebody like that. But uh, it, one thing you can say about uh, Austin Romine this year is that his underlying skills look pretty good. He's walking more often. His walk rate's up to eight percent. His contact rate up around seventy six percent. So he's only fanning uh, less than a quarter of the time, which is pretty good in this environment. And his two sixty two batting average fully supported by his expected batting average is two fifty nine and league average with uh, with his power stroke uh, actually a little higher. So there's a lot to like here. About Austin Romine as well as a lot to be wary yeah
4: that's exactly right uh, when you look at the, the, the current numbers for this year there's not a lot of fluke going on here what's what's what you wonder about is again this season like you said has come out of nowhere you know he's a little on the old side um, and uh, you know well we'll see where it goes in the next two months.
0: And finally, a bit of surprise to some, but not to others. After a long slump, Texas has sent their starting center fielder Delino De Shields to the minor leagues. Uh, Rod Truesdell wrote about this in Playing Time today. What the heck happened to Delino De Shields? I thought this was finally going the right way.
4: You know, last year the big thing about the Shields was his his hit rate rebounded and he improved his defense. And obviously, if he's in the lineup, he's going to steal bases. Um, I have never liked Delano DeShields all that much, and my take has always been that he offers speed, now defense and the ability to take a walk, everything else is woefully subpar, especially the contact rate and the hard contact rate. He has no power, and in years where he has down hit rate, a, a down hit rate and he's having one of those this year, this is the type of thing that, that you're going to be at risk for. Um, he's going to hurt you. The question is, are the stolen bases worth it? Uh, uh, obviously, they're declining in baseball right now. He has 18 of them, and he's third in the American League. It's, a, it's an interesting situation.
0: He was really struggling the last four weeks. I was just looking at his his line uh, one a uh, one hundred batting average in twenty at bats the first week of July, then and zero in uh, zero for fourteen in in the next week, then one for seven the week after that, and finally uh, uh, zero for five the the week after that. That that's just not getting it done. You can't steal first base. He is drawing walks. We'll have to say that he's really developed that skill. But what are they going to do in Texas, uh, Carlos Tochi?
4: Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be Carlos Tochi. Um, Rod Truesdale mentioned uh, uh, another guy, uh, AAA All-Star, Scott Heinemann. Uh, he's not a big prospect. He's 25 already, um, but he's had a pretty good year. They'll, he'll probably get some time. Um, the real question is, how long are they going to keep the Shields down there? So uh, that's an interesting situation, particularly now at the end of July.
0: And I saw the Texas finally recalled Willie Calhoun to the relief of many Willie Calhoun owners, especially the guys who actually spent money for him at draft. Is Willie Calhoun finally set up to make some kind of a contribution in Texas?
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was never anything wrong with his hit tool down in uh, in AAA. I mean, he was he was killing the ball. He just wasn't hitting home runs. Uh, I, I think it could turn around for him really quickly in Texas, particularly now in these 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 hot. August and September months. Uh, um, I like Willie Calhoun in here.
0: I do too, and uh, maybe this is an opportunity to get him off a disgruntled owner. He hasn't looked that good in his first 20 or so at-bats. I think he's batting under 200. Uh, he may have a single home run and, uh, and a couple of RBIs in 21 at-bats. Uh, people get impatient when guys like this finally get the call up and then they don't do anything, uh, I, especially in a keeper league, uh, and especially if you have Willie Calhoun uh in a situation where you're trying to win a pennant, this might be somebody that you can trade away for something better uh, to an also-ran team in your league who might be looking to build. Uh, Jock Thompson, thanks a million for helping us out. I know you're off to New Mexico. Have a great time there, and we'll talk to you next week.
4: Thanks, Pete. See ya.
0: Jock Thompson is Baseball HQ's Director of News and Analysis, and he's our man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. When we return, our Baseball HQ commentaries, the Minor League Minute and Frequent Flyer, coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. But right now it's time in the show and I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In From A to Zinke, columnist Fred Zinke looks at American League lineup splits. In playing time tomorrow, Christopher Olsen looks ahead in the American League Central, including players like Miguel Sano in Minnesota, the closer options in Chicago now that Joaquin Soria has been traded, the closer options in Cleveland now that Brad Hand has been acquired, and more American League Central news. And in the Facts and Fluke Spotlight, analyst Matt Cedarholm goes deep on Oakland left-handed starter Sean Mania. Those are just three articles among the dozens. A small sampling of all the great content and all the great tools that we'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time. And that's why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business.
5: I gambled on on other sports other than baseball. I never gambled on baseball, but uh, I think I'm uh, being punished pretty severely.
1: Baseball HQ Radio. Ah!
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular HQ Radio commentaries. Coming up, we have the frequent flyer. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a look at St. Louis's 2018 first rounder, the third base prospect, Nolan Gorman, is Baseball HQ Minor League's analyst, Rob Gordon.
1: The St. Louis Cardinals are at a crossroads at the Major League level. After six and a half years with Mike Matheny at the helm, the club's underwhelming first half performance led to his ouster, and for the first time in nearly a decade, the club is looking like they might be sellers at the trade deadline. And doing things the Cardinals way no longer seems to be in vogue. Yet despite the turmoil at the Major League level, the Cardinals continue to do an excellent job of scouting, evaluating, and drafting Major League talent. The latest addition to the Cardinals' farm system is high school prep star Nolan Gorman. Coming into 2018, Gorman was widely viewed as a likely top five pick, but a solid and not spectacular draft season saw Gorman slide to number 19 at the Cardinals. While the sample size is small, it looks like the Cardinals got a steal here, and Gorman will likely emerge as a top 50 prospect heading into 2019. The left-handed hitting Gorman had the best raw power in the prep draft class, and fared extremely well in the showcase circuit over the past two seasons. He has plus bat speed and solid if not advanced bat to ball skills. There are some questions about his defensive props, but he should have enough range, athleticism, and arm strength to stick at third base as he moves up. Gorman has gotten off to an extremely nice start in rookie ball, hitting 300 with a .411 on base percentage and a 589 slugging percentage with three doubles and seven home runs and just 90 at-bats. He does have 28 strikeouts, but has also drawn 17 walks. Nolan Gorman is still years away from the majors, but fantasy owners in deep-keeper formats should roster him as soon as possible, and long-term, he has the potential to be a middle-of-the-order bat and gives the Cardinals an impact position player. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor Analyst Rob Gordon.
0: Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, the BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week's prospect coverage includes call-up reports on Philadelphia left-hander Ranger Suarez, Tampa catcher Michael Perez, and the splendidly monikered Miami center fielder Magnuris Sierra. And in the eyes have it, scouting analyst Chris Blessing empties his notebook about prospects he's seen this season, including White Sox outfield prospect Luis Pasabe, Miami second-base prospect Aizan Diaz, Mets third-base prospect Mark Vientos, and more. These days, knowing the prospects can mean the difference in many of our leagues, and BaseballHQ.com has the prospect tools you can use to make that difference. Now it's time for our frequent flyer comment, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's frequent flyer is Colorado shortstop Garrett Hampson, and here to tell you more is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky.
6: He's an athletic player with an advanced hit tool and plus speed, according to Baseball HQ's 2018 Minor League Baseball Analyst. And he's one of the most intriguing middle infield prospects of the game, according to our own Steven Dickran, who named him as one of his early deep league targets for 2018 back on May 14th. Best of all, 23-year-old Colorado Rockies shortstop Garrett Hampson has finally arrived at Denver as of July 21st. Baseball HQ's Alec Dopp in his July 6th watch list, names you need to know for the second half column on BaseballHQ.com, said there's a lot to like about Garrett Hampson's profile, including quality plate discipline, patience, and the ability to make above-average contact via a short, compact stroke, all of which should give him value in batting average and on-base percentage categories. In fact, Alec points to Garrett Hampson's 83% contact rate as noteworthy. Digging deeper, something we like to do at BaseballHQ.com, we can see that Garrett Hampson's 83% contact rate in the minors, when compared to his 14% walk rate, measuring his patience at the plate, provides an expectation benchmark of a 276 batting average at the Major League level. Remember, the 300 hitters most often come from the group of players with a minimum 86% contact rate and an 11% walk rate similar to Garrett Hampson's 83% contact rate and 14% walk rate, and reflected by Garrett Hampson's career 309 batting average of the Miners. In other words, the evidence points to an advanced hit tool, but Garrett Hampson's advanced hit tool totally lacks power. That's why Garrett Hampson, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. Maybe he lacks power, he's only hit 19 career home runs since 2016, but whatever Garrett Hampson lacks in power, he certainly makes up for in speed! The tune of 120 career stolen bases in three seasons. In fact, he almost fits Baseball HQ's stolen base breakout profile perfectly. He's 23 years old has at least three years of professional experience, and has stolen at least 20 bases per season in three different seasons. Well, he has 19 steals so far in 2018, so let's assume he'll add at least one steal to that total, and he's notched at least one professional season of 30-plus steals by pilfering 51 in 2017. In other words, don't wait very long to add the speedy Garrett Hampson our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com.
0: Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has our frequent flyer comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. When we return, it's part two of our feature expert interview with Scott Pianowski, fantasy writer for Yahoo Sports, coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for part two of our feature expert interview with Scott Pianowski, the fantasy writer from Yahoo Sports. Scott, welcome back.
2: Good to be back, Patrick.
0: Now, Scott, you're not in my position. I'm in last place. I've got less than 40 points in a league where the leader has more than 100. So my thoughts have naturally already turned to next year. And I was thinking especially about some of the players who might be first rounders or top buys next season. Based on what they've done this season, and this might be a chance to also talk about boring players from this season who might uh, turn out to be values next year. But let me start by asking you do you think it's obvious that Trout and Betts are going to go 1 2 next year?
2: Yeah, I mean, barring, you know, uh, an injury or something, Trout's going to go 1. I think it's maybe a matter of do people think that Lindor and Jose Ramirez have gotten into that number 2 conversation? Has Nolan Arenado, just because he's so consistent every year? Has he pushed into it? I think when you ultimately look at Betts, because he does everything well, I mean, right now he's, he's probably in line to win the batting title. Uh, he could steal probably as many bases as he wants. He'll only steal 20 to 30 based on game situations and all that. But uh, really good park, sweet spot for age. Uh, Trout to me is a lock. I think Betts is going to be the runaway number two guy. But could you really fault somebody for a Ramirez or an Arenado or a Lindor? I, I, I think those will be the next three guys in some order and they will creep into the number two conversation as well.
0: Yeah, when I looked at it, I, I thought of Arenado as well, but I, I think there's going to be a focus on stolen bases at the top in a, in a way that Arenado doesn't help, and I know he's consistent, and I know there's a lot of other value going on with him, but I think when, when owners look at uh, the potential guys to grab and you look at a, even a Starling Marte, a Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, what you're getting is maybe a few less home runs, but a lot more stolen bases. and In the league context, like it is now, and there's, we've already been experiencing a a decline in stolen bases, but this year it's really declining an awful lot. And if you, if you kind of, um, interpolate from that and, and look at the uh, next year, maybe you think to yourself, I gotta get bags in the early going. And if I've got an early pick, I'm going to get one of those five category guys and Nolan Arenado. Love your brother. But man, it's a four category situation. That's
2: fair. Um, also, you could argue that because stolen bases are getting more and more extinct, that we don't necessarily have to get that many of them at the end of the season, or we, the impact of making a trade for a stolen base guy would be more helpful because we don't, you know, instead of being 20 behind or 10 behind, you know, it might be five, you know. I feel like there's one league I'm in where everything is scored every week. It's, it's, it's a rotisserie league, but what happens is you play the week, and they take a snapshot of what the standings are for that week, like the season just started, and that is your score for the week. And then on Monday it starts over again. And every time in that league, one of my guys steals the base. I don't care who it is. I mean, I like do a little hat dance because I know that just gave me a couple points in the standings. Nobody runs anymore. Yeah. You know, and the other day, I mean, not literally, not nobody, but it's so rare now. And when you get a stolen base from somebody who shouldn't run or doesn't run a lot, like J.D. Martinez had a stolen base this week. I mean. I, it's just it's cause for celebration. It's it's funny how teams they finally figured out that the stolen base, you know, two two things. I mean, obviously, three true outcomes run baseball now. It's home runs, it's strikeouts, it's walks. But but also, so what's the point? You know, going for first to second really doesn't help you that much because a lot of your scoring is going to be done on home runs. And and also, some of these guys, if you're not really proficient at stolen bases, it's just not worth the risk in most cases. So d- don't even bother running. It seems like teams have figured this out that it's an inefficient play and it doesn't really fit the shape of today's baseball. I mean, look, if they're giving you the base, if they can't throw you out, that's one thing, take it, take it, fine. But uh, it's interesting how baseball has gotten smarter, I think, about stolen bases and how they've become almost an extinct species. But back to your point, if you can draft somebody who does everything, who, who is a five category player, there may just be those four guys that we named. I can see why there's a good case of Arenado, maybe, you know, Maybe I'm jumping the gun here. He should just be the fifth pick or the sixth pick or the seventh pick or whatever. But let's focus on those guys who can do everything first, as small a group as that is.
0: When I look at the Baseball HQ uh, value rankings, including hitters and pitchers, so far this season, and I just ran them a, a day or two ago, Betts was first, Ramirez was second. And then there there's three pitchers in a row, Verlander, Sale, and Scherzer. And I'm wondering what you think about the future, specifically next year, with regard to whether people are going to be more and more willing to take guys, especially like Verlander and Sale and Scherzer, who have this established track record of being really excellent year in and year out, and you got to have pitching. Will they be willing to go to the third pick or the fourth pick, where it only used to ever be Clayton Kershaw that you'd think about that? I
2: think maybe Kershaw, and maybe even to a lesser extent, Kluber. Maybe arguments, you know, all the problems that Strasburg has had. Although you could say that maybe he never belonged to be in that tier. But I don't. Know, I, I still want. I was in a league a couple of years ago where Kershaw went before Trout, and the offensive players are just so much safer. And pitching, I guess the idea of maybe taking a pitcher early in the sense that like one of your first three or four picks could be a pitcher, but there's just so much variance with pitching and pitchers go run good, run bad. You know, Garrett Cole was just a mediocre guy for a couple of years. And and now he's back to, uh, although he's cooled off a little bit from that hot start, but he's he's still back as like a top 10 pitcher SP one for anybody. Um, This pitchers just bounce up and down so much with new team, new catcher, new, you know, full, full windup. No, he's pitching from the stretch. No, he's using his slider. No, he scrapped his slider. Uh, You know, he's trying to dial down the velocity. No, he's gained velocity. There's just so many moving parts with pitchers, and you can find. You know, I always look at the teams that I have that are good. It's just you gotta find some pitcher. You know, and this year, Mike Foltynewicz is a guy. He always had. He would have been, I, I don't remember exactly what HQ said about him, but I bet it was probably positive, saying, "Look, there's an upside here. That you know, this guy misses bats. This guy, if it if he puts it together, could be a real difference maker." I, I would be shocked if the HQ stuff preseason wasn't on Foltynewicz because he just seems to fit like the Lima profile. Where okay, he's got raw skills. He hasn't put them together yet, but look what's possible if he does. I just feel like this. Oh, you know, Ross Stripling came up, you know, a little bit out of nowhere this year. It's become a really good pitcher for the Dodgers. You know, last year Severino, who had been up and down with the Yankees, put it together. I, I just feel like get that hitting base, maybe get one ace. Uh, you have to probably address saves in most leagues, but that's extremely contextual. I, I wanted I my my strategy has always been draft hitting, and then figure out the pitching as you go and I still think that's the way to do it
0: I think so too it's interesting how you go about it however uh, you mentioned Garrett Cole he's the 12th highest value in all of baseball in a mixed league format 5 by 5 a $34 player so far this year just ahead of Jacob deGrom and Aaron Nola who's uh, having a terrific year as well I always worry about a pitcher who's got a lot of uh, his value from wins, and uh, Luis Severino, Aaron Nola, both have double-digit wins. Uh, I think Garrett Cole has his 10th, finally, been pitching in some bad luck, and of course Jacob deGrom's been pitching in horrendous luck.
2: Part of my Tout Wars team, by the way, that's one of my (laughs) Tout Wars sob stories, is even one of my great players, deGrom, that poor guy, if he allows one, they score zero. If he allows two, they score one. It's unbelievable how he can't catch a break.
0: It is, and I imagine you must be rooting for them to trade him somewhere where a contender could score some runs for him. How would he look? Uh, how would he look in Cleveland, or how would he look at, with the Yankees? It would be amazing.
2: He's affordable enough that uh, it could be a good deal for both teams. The Mets could say our next good team might not have Degrom on it anyway, and the contender's not getting a rental because Degrom is under control for a couple of years at a reasonable cost. So um, this would be. It's not like with the Orioles with Machado, where it's like they really had no options. I feel like the Mets, and the problem with the Mets is their ownership's all screwed up, and it's a team that, for a team, they're in the biggest market in the league, and they run like a small market team, you know, for different reasons, and that's you know, that's really a, a shame. I mean, uh, you know, the Mets should be one of the signature franchises in baseball, and they're not, but uh, hopefully they'll get some new ownership soon, and they'll they'll maybe realize that, you know, we, we should be one of the big guys, not one of the little guys.
0: Out of Cole, DeGrom, Nola, Severino, who do you like best for next year?
2: Ah. <sighs> Severino's strikeout potential is so high. I I love all of them. I feel like Nolan might be just, just a speck below the others, but um, Degrom. I, I think we have to guess uh, on you know, what team will be on. Um, maybe he would take a hit if he went to the American League. When of course it hasn't hurt Severino and Cole any. And also, you know, you wonder what are the Astros doing. I mean, Verlander was a good pitcher when they traded for him. He's been totally better for them. Uh, Cole, you know we know he, he's gone more for strikeouts and more for missing bats this year. That's helped him. Maybe he just needed to get out of Pittsburgh at the right time. But I lead Severino for the strikeout upside, but man, you, you named a lot of pitchers I love. Uh, you know, Nola's got those three great pitches. You remind me a little bit of Adam Wainwright where he knows that his fastball isn't a great pitch, but he's able to get away with it, get ahead, and not get hurt with it, and then he gets you out with his other stuff. I, he's one of one of the most relaxing guys to watch. I don't have as much Nola as I wish I did, although he's on one of my good teams, but uh, sometimes just putting on a, a picture, I enjoy Degrom's the same way. Although you kind of know Degrom is is like I don't know, adopting a pet that you already know is sick. I mean, you watch him pitch, and you just know he's going to lose the game somehow. It's it's common. You just keep thinking, it's time for this guy to get a break. But yeah, I love tuning into him. The Mets TV crew is so good, and they have really good chemistry together and intelligent conversations. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll watch a game. I may not even have a fantasy stake in just because I, I think the broadcast crew is good. Obviously, the Mets aren't a good team. They don't have that many interesting players, but I think their broadcast team is so good. Sometimes I just enjoy watching their games anyway.
0: In the top 10 hitters by value at Baseball HQ, there are some names that were not top 10 draft picks uh, in uh, this year's drafting. Uh, Starling Marte, Javier Baez, Andrew Benintendi, Eddie Rosario. Uh, Out of those four guys, who do you think has the likeliest uh, chance of being as good or better next season and is not too much of a fluke this season?
2: Well, you love uh the broad skills with Benintendi, that he can do everything, and he's in the right park. He's at the right age of pocket. Rosario fit some of that quiet um, versatility that we talked about earlier. He's one of my favorite players. But Benintendi, just for the age, for the park, and for the idea that he could be a five-category guy, I guess you could argue he's a five-category guy already. Would be my preference, but I mean, obviously, all terrific hitters. Marte's maybe a little bit too streaky for my taste. I know everybody's streaky on some level. Um, seems like he's been running more since they shifted him in the lineup, and I do like Marte, but Benintendi just seems to check all the boxes for me.
0: A couple of very young players, Ozzie Albies and Alex Bregman, are top 15 hitters at $29 of value. Um, I'd rather have Alex Bregman because I like the experience, and in this case, I'd like to have a little bit of extra muscle that comes with age. Uh, Out of Bregman and Albies, who would you take ahead uh, next year?
2: Bregman, probably cover more positions, better lineup, uh, better league, a little bit more experience. They're both great, but I I think Bregman is just a little safer and they, they both have obviously very high upsides, but Bregman's been around the block a little bit. I just feel like I'm getting a safer pick, which is always important to me with my early selections, just that really high four.
0: Freddie Freeman's at $30 this year. Scott, is he one of these guys who's starting to approach boring value? Everybody talks about him, but he just keeps doing it, and everybody sometimes looks at him and goes, really, $30? I don't
2: think anybody's ever overpaid for Freeman, I'll say that. He, he reminds me so much of Otto, in that, Everybody knows Joey Votto's good. He's a great player. He's probably on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He's won MVP before. But he walks a lot. And the Reds teams he, he's been on generally haven't been that good. Uh, that may not be a problem for Freeman for the next couple of years with that great core they have. But uh, he reminds me of the – I think he's the new Votto. I think Paul Spohr may have said that recently, so maybe that's fresh in my mind. But uh, they remind me so much. Uh, also, hard hit, right? Freddie Freeman is always on that hard hit rate list. I love that. I mean, it, it, it's intuitive. Why you, know, you think the good hitters would hit the ball hard consistently, but Freeman always does that. Now he's got some fun guys. I, I agree with you. I don't think he's incredibly underrated or incredibly underappreciated. Like, sometimes you'd see the common media the last few few years, they'd be like, Paul Goldschmidt, you know, people just don't talk about him enough. And it's like, yeah, anybody who follows baseball knows Paul Goldschmidt is an overlord and a god. And then congratulations to anybody who stuck with him this year when he was slumping. Uh, My friend Frank Schwab was uh, one of those guys who held Goldschmidt or traded for him and said, look, I think he's going to be fine. and He's pretty much been back to vintage Goldschmidt. I don't know if the Steels are going to come back, but he's doing everything else well. So congratulations to that. But I think Freeman has always been maybe a little bit underappreciated. I don't think it's been significant, but by the same token, I don't think anybody's ever overpaid for Freeman either.
0: I wonder about Zach Greinke too. He's very quietly in the top ten of starting pitchers this year. I was looking at his stats. He's got eleven wins, a ERA right around three, and a WHIP barely over one. He's got a hundred and thirty some strikeouts. Is he starting to become a boring value player?
2: Sure. Yeah, deep in his career, and and now the park isn't as penal. He actually was somebody who always seemed to pitch well at home anyway, but um, now it's it's less uh, his mistakes are less likely to get punished and. You know, he's he's bounced around. I mean, he's Royals and then Brewers. He's on the Angels briefly. He had that great season with the Dodgers where you know, Cy Young was, was clouded between him and Arietta and Kershaw was clear who to vote for. I think Arietta won, but um, you know, there's nothing... People want... It's just human to want new things, to want buzzy things. You know, new phone came out, new uh, movies out. And uh, I think, you know, Zach Greinke... Again, it's not that people are giving you Zach Greinke away, I remember, wasn't there a lot of talk before the season about his velocity being down, and, and people yeah. were trying to find reasons not to take him? Yeah, I, I do think that you're getting him. I, I, you know, I guess I'm kind of thinking about this out loud, but yeah, I, I do think he's becoming one of those boring veteran guys. He's, he's a, a top shelf boring veteran guy. You, you're not going to get him in the 13th round or the ninth round or something. But there's nothing. Peop, everybody at some point has owned Granky at this, you know, in their fantasy career. They've been through the Granky experience. Maybe it was good. Maybe it was bad. But it's not new. It's not, you know, Shohei Otani new or, you know, whoever the next Otani is or whoever the next Labor Torres is or, or whoever the next Juan Soto is. Not that any of those guys are bad players, but people want new, fun, fresh experiences. Fear of missing out is a, is a thing that actually affects how people make decisions and how people make fantasy decisions. Yes. And if you don't get tied up on that, you get some really nice values elsewhere in the draft.
0: Paul Goldschmidt down around 22 bucks. I know he was a first-round pick almost everywhere this year. I think the problem there is just three stolen bases. Uh, can we expect a stolen base rebound and through it a value rebound, or is Paul Goldschmidt now pretty much going to be a second-round pick for the foreseeable future?
2: Keith Hernandez said a long time ago that he thought anybody in baseball could probably steal 15 bases if they wanted to. But once somebody who was never a big base dealer stops running, I just always assume it's that's the way to bat production isn't always linear and careers aren't always linear but when a guy like goldschmidt who makes his living with his hitting skill, his hit tool his power you know, being a, a corner in the middle of a lineup once the stolen bases start to filter away it's hard for, I'm, I'm certainly not going to price them into my valuation if he happens to get them back that's great maybe he could maybe he just you know maybe he'll the team could have a, a new approach on how they want to run or whatever but I think he's the type of guy that once the stolen bases are going away, we don't bet on them coming back.
0: And before we leave this discussion, uh, there are three hitters who went uh, top round, some of them very early, Charlie Blackman, Trey Turner, and Giancarlo Stanton, and they're all floating around the $23, $24 mark, which is well short of expectations. Do you like any of the three as a first rounder next year, or is the second, maybe the third round even, the more likely landing spot for guys like that?
2: I think Stanton and Blackman are going to go in the second round. Stanton's been hurt too many times before, and then this year is going to... It's not going to be a bad season, but people know, not going to run, not probably going to be an average guy. I mean, you just hope his average is maybe... It may help you a little bit. It may be around league average or fantasy league average. It may be a little below it. And the lineup's good, but, you know, there's a lot of teams with good lineups. I, I'm i not comfortable with him as a first-round player, and I think a lot of people are there. Blackman, just he's getting it age pocket that people get nervous about. You also wonder, I mean, he, he's not like a Goldschmidt where Blackman's always had, you know, plus speed and it's been a big part of his game, but you just wonder he's getting near the age where, you know, maybe 10 to 12 to 15 stolen bases a year as opposed to 30 or 40. I think he goes in the second round. Turner is a very interesting guy. I think he's somebody that if you really like Turner or, or you're just, some people like to draft aggressively. I could see him going as high as six or seven in a draft, thinking, "Hey, I still think there's a fifty or sixty steal season in this player." But other people are going to say, "No, no, I want to see it from Turner. I'm not paying for possible return or theoretical return. I haven't seen a full season from him yet." You know, some people might say he's a third round player to me. He's going to go in the second round. It's not to me, and I perfectly get that too. And it's it's fascinating too. A name you didn't mention. I think one of the hardest players all season and next year to figure out has been Bryce Harper. I mean, this is a guy. I mean, he's I think he won a batting title, or if he didn't, he was like second. He hit 330 or 340 one year. He's hit as low as 243 before. This year, he's you know 215 or so. Um, looks like the stolen bases have probably dried up with him. A lot of seasons he's played hurt, or he's been injured. But somebody sees the upside. It seems like in every every year, it seems somebody takes him in the first round. I, you would think that the contract he's going to get there's only a few teams who can probably shell that out. So you would think he'd go to a glamor team like the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Cubs or, yeah, I, mean, I I, you, nobody thinks Bryce Harper's going to the, I don't know, the pirates or the, the Royals or, you know, the, the Orioles or something. I mean, you would think he's going to go to a team with money, with a good team around him already, you know, that type of thing. But I, I he's just not my type of guy. I, I want that high floor in the first round, in the second round, in the third round. And, uh, Harper, you have to tell yourself the story that it's going to be the right Harper year, that you're timing the market. I'd i much rather have again, maybe it just speaks to how I want boring consistency, and I don't have to be in on shiny things. To me, Bryce Harper, as good of a baseball player as he can be, is more of a shiny toy that he is that boring, consistent player that I gravitate towards.
0: Geez, I know I said that was the last one, but i got two more quick ones. So you're in the third round, you need a starting pitcher, and it comes to your pick. You can choose Trevor Bauer or Blake Snell. Who, who's your guy?
2: Oh, that's a great comp. I, I guess I'd have to, again, I know people love to laugh at you when you put a premium on wins, but Cleveland is set up so well in that division, and Tampa Bay – I mean, they've done a great job being uh, around 500, a little bit better uh, this year. It's been, I think, most Tampa Bay uh, fans that I know and people in my timeline, some really smart Tampa Bay people. Jason Collette, you know, as smart as a guy, as uh, as you'll talk to. And, and I know you've talked to him before a lot, um, you know, really plugged into the Rays. They've had a lot of enjoyment out of Snell this season. But they're, right now they're selling pieces off. They're not set up to compete, where Bauer's going to be on a team that, you would think is, is going to rule that division for you know several years to come. I know the Cleveland bullpen has collapsed this year, so that's probably hurt Bauer in the wind department a little bit, but a better team, easier division. You know, there's, there's no Yankees in, in the central. There's no Red Sox in the central. Um, even some of those parks you have to navigate in the AL East, those don't exist, although Snell, all of his home park, uh, starts are in, in a very favorable pitching environment. I, I'd have to let that... Is very close on skills, and maybe Snell is even a little bit better of a pitcher. But I think the environment, with team, with with park, I'm sorry, with team, with division, with opponents, and just the Cleveland is going to win 20 more games than than the Rays probably. That's enough for me to make the pick being Bauer. But I really love Snell. I don't have him on any team, and it's been hard to watch that season because I've always liked him. I just you know you can't draft everybody. The other guys get the main picks too, and it's been really frustrating to sit out Blake Snell's breakout season.
0: I like, uh, Trevor Bauer as well, more for an injury point of view than anything else. But uh, also, the strikeouts, I think, are, are an advantage. He's about 1.5 strikeouts per nine, uh, better than, uh, than Snell is. And over a full season, you're looking at maybe 40, 45 strikeouts. Like, that makes a big difference. I promise. Last question. You're in the fifth or sixth round. You need an infielder, and you got your choice of two Cincinnati Reds who, are having, who will, will have had uh, really good years in 2018. In uh, 2019 draft, you want Eugenio Suarez or Scooter Jeanette?
2: Yeah, Jeanette, I think we talked about the last time we, we spoke on this pod, and he fit, that, he fit that whole boring value thing, right? Although, actually, you could say Suarez does as well. Suarez, maybe his profile is a little broader. Maybe his upside is a little bit better. And Jeanette's going to hit the high end of his average range. It's probably going to be factored into his prices next year. I maybe I'd be a little bit reluctant to pay for that because it's a stat that can have a lot of fluctuation. I slightly prefer Suarez, but I think they're both excellent targets.
0: I do, too. I think Suarez has got a little speed that we haven't seen uh, fully exploited yet. Might be a might be an advantage. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Scott Pianowski from Yahoo Sports. And, Scott, we've spent the last uh, 10, 15 minutes or so talking about next year. Let's talk about the balance of this season. It's time for boons and banes during the year. I like to ask all our experts to talk about players they think will be boons and banes for the rest of the year. Any reason at all? Could be boring value, could be exciting value, could be speculative. Whatever you like, let's start with your boons. These are guys you think should interest our listeners for the balance of the year. In the American League, who's a hitter you think could be a boon for his owners?
2: Could be a couple of guys. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion is one of the hard-hit leaders over the last 30 days, but he has a two hundred twenty four BABIP to show for it, which doesn't make any sense. still on a plus team. And a team that's still trying to get set up for its playoff position, they're not going to be mailing in games. I think his value might just be a little bit under what it really should be right now, and maybe it's a good time to trade for him. Maybe his owner's a little bit frustrated. I talked about Jed Lowry earlier, the all-boring team. I think he's a nice guy to add. And um, as you know, I traded for Elvis Andrews. He, he's been running lately. That Texas park is such an offensive uh, you know, Disneyland. His seasonal stats aren't much. So it's not like I can't imagine anybody drafted Andrews, even with his recent perk-up. And I know he's, he's produced lately, and his owner is going to know about that. I always get frustrated when I see people recommend trade for a player who started to come around as if his owner won't know about that because his owner is the most plugged-in guy in that player as anybody. But uh, it's hard to get steals in, in this uh, in this season. And Texas in, in the summer, I've been to a Texas game this summer. It's depressingly hot. I, I don't know how the pitchers and catchers can take it. It just seems like a softball game out there. Uh, Andrews plugged in third in that lineup. I overpaid to get him, but I think a lot of people could probably get him cheaper than I could. Uh, Go get Encarnacion. Go get Andrews and Jed Lowry, all boring team. uh, Go get Lowry, too.
0: In the National League, who's a boon hitter?
2: Ian Desmond is, uh, quote-unquote, overpaid. Get a bad average. People get mad that the Rockies are playing him, but you know he's on a pace for 88 runs, 30 homers. 93 RBIs, 19 steals. When I say on a pace, it's late July. It's not like this is something extrapolated from two weeks. I mean, he's been a four-category stud all season, and he's the 241 average is that bad. I mean, it hurt you a little bit, but as long as he's Joey Gallo, I mean, you know, he's doing okay. The Rockies have to pay him. You don't have to pay him. So what if he's overpaid? In fact, that may help you because it may, may mean if Desmond goes into a brief slump, he's not going to get lose his job or, you know, fall out of favor with the team because they feel committed to him. Four-category stud, course. Field, let's, let's not overthink it. Again, you, the Rockies overpaid him to make him a bad fantasy player. Uh, Reese Hoskins, uh, the great plate discipline from last year, has carried over, got off to a slow start, uh hit, I think, 171 in May, but he's very quietly 12 homers over his last 40 games. I think the Phillies have an underrated lineup and I believe they're going to add a piece to it. Hoskins sits in that really good number two slot. I think he even Cesar Hernandez Hernandez, if, if he's not Uh, continued to be dinged up he's been hurt a little bit this month but I think he could be a good guy to get cheap right now and Hoskins yeah the the numbers people will say well he he doesn't match power from last year but actually he's he's matching it if you look at it I know you can say anything when you cut off the stats in a certain order but uh, he's actually gotten back to that power level over the last maybe five or six weeks and the play discipline's always been there number two in a good lineup I I think he's going to have a really strong finish to the season
0: to the mound in the American League, who's a pitcher who could be a boon rest of season?
2: The last time we were on, I talked about how much I loved Blake Trinan, and you know none of that's changed. But that is a deep bullpen. They just went out and got familiar. And maybe the guy who's forgotten about is Lou Trevino, who's got really good ERA, really good whip, uh, really good strikeout numbers. Is he going to get you saves now. I mean, maybe the occasional save. But he's going to pitch in high-leverage situations, and he's on a team Fighting for a playoff spot, and so theoretically they're going to add pieces. They may get better. Big park, all that foul territory. Even when he makes a mistake, maybe the park bails him out. I think he's a really great guy to, to um, protect the ratios. You're probably not going to get saves there, but just a really good place to get some quality innings, to get those ratios where you want them. Mike Fires has been a really nice find for the Tigers, and again, he's probably going to get traded to a better team. Uh, the strikeout walk ratio will support his case. He's not It's not that he's a great strikeout per nine guy, but he doesn't walk anybody, which really helps. And let's we'll see where he lands. In fact, maybe the the A's, they've been linked to fires. Uh, the Brewers should use a pitcher. I'd really like him on one of those teams. Uh, J. A J.A. Happ is a guy with the an ERA and whip don't match up. And when that's the case, I tend to trust the whip. His ERA is over four now. He had a recent start where he pitched really poorly. So maybe the timing is right to get Happ. And maybe he gets uh, Toronto. Maybe he lands on a contender that has a... You know, whether it's a better team around him, a better defense, a bigger park, whatever it is. Uh, Happ is a guy I think has been underrated most of his career. He actually is, again, one of those boring veteran players who seem to figure it out at the end of his career, not the early part of his career. So I think it might be a good time to buy him as well.
0: And a Boone National League pitcher.
2: You know, Will Smith uh, came back from Tommy Jones surgery stronger than ever. Uh, he can get lefties out, he can get righties out. He has three-plus pitches. And I think San Francisco has committed to him as the closer for the rest of the year. So he's somebody I like. And, uh, you know, Anibal Sanchez, sometimes it's it's just a matter of guys figure things out. And uh, he's he's a fantasy zombie. I mean, people have written the guy off, and I get that. But, I don't know, five or six weeks he's been around a strikeout per inning as whip, barely over one. I I think it's a a great time to get in on him. It's it's a team that's probably going to be a playoff team. Um, you know, sometimes you just, I don't care if Annabelle Sanchez's career looks like it's over. Something's working for him right now. I think he's figured something out. I want to get in on him.
0: Scott Pianowski's Boons, uh, Edwin N. Karnassian, Jed Lowry, Elvis Andrews, Ian Desmond, and if ground ball rates one of your categories, even a better value, uh, Reese Hoskins of Philadelphia, Boone uh, pitchers, Lou Trevino, Mike Fires, Jay Happ. Do you think if Toronto trades them, we can truly say that uh, Toronto will be a hapless team? <laughs> that's terrible and in the national league will smith and annabelle you sanchez what
2: i'm laughing at that joke.
0: let's move over to the banes guys about whom you think listeners should be cautious for the balance of the season once again let's start in the american league with a hitter who could be a bane for his owners
2: you know gary sanchez the yankees i know they want to win the division but i think they're you know they're already in the playoffs he's been hurt all season he hasn't hit all season on the DL now. I mean, we may get into that no man's land of September, where we're not sure what to expect. I'm afraid that he won't be trustable or playable for the rest of the season because the Yankees aren't going to force it. And so I, I don't know. I, I'm I know that if you hold, if you've held him this long, I mean, you almost feel like you're. you're it just has to get better at some point, and I can see that. But I think they're going to play it very careful with him, and. Again, September is a terrible time for an injured guy because the DL goes away and the rehab assignments go away and the, and the lineups are so big. Um, I'm afraid he's going to be unplayable the rest of the season. I hate saying that, but um, I think it's just a lost season for him.
0: Yeah, we talked about this with Jock Thompson a little earlier, and uh, he also mentioned Austin Romine, the backup, is not actually hitting that badly. He's no Gary Sanchez, but he's not killing anybody out there, and that certainly gives the uh, Yankees another incentive to go slow on Gary Sanchez. Uh, you, you know,
2: he's a nice pickup, too. He's, he's actually... This is a year where catching has been horrendous. I mean, Romine, just... He's in a good lineup. He might hit 250. he's His plate discipline stats looked pretty good. I, I would have no problem. People might say, well... I thought this guy stunk before the season. That doesn't matter to me. I I think he's actually a really, not, he's not going to be Sanchez, of course, who, you know, how many guys are. But I think Roman, Dave, even in a one-catcher league, may be worth some consideration.
0: In the National League, who's a hitter, who's a bean?
2: I hate saying anything negative about Buster Posey, one of my favorite players, but the power hasn't been there for a few seasons. And I think it's really time. As good as he is behind the plate, he's one of the best pitch framers going and, I think they have to strongly consider maybe it's just time to get him down a different position. It's, it's almost a shame that he didn't have the Craig Vigio career. Again, the defense was too good to give up, but you can't count any power with with Posey, and the, obviously the the park is really big, and it's a very old lineup around him. I think the Giants are probably going to sink under five hundred in the second half, and Posey has a history of kind of wearing down. Last year he had no power in the second half of the year. I, he's just a guy now who's going to give you a good average, but uh, he's he's been overrated i hate saying this i think he's been fancy overrated for two or three seasons and if you're in a league maybe you trade posey and just ham and egg at a catcher and, and you get you know you get something else for posey not a catcher but you get an outfielder you get a starting pitcher whatever and then you just kind of go with the cheap catchers i think posey is a name right now but he's not producing anywhere near that name brown value
0: to the mound again in the american league who's a pitcher is going to be a bane for owners
2: Well, Archer, it's kind of easy to pick on him, but uh, the team is collapsing around him. Um, The ERA is just always over what a quote-unquote should be. I I, I can't trust him. Uh, Also, David Price is a guy for as much stuff as he has. Something something doesn't add up. I just wonder if maybe Boston's a hard place to play. I wonder if he'd just be better off in a different location or something. I've even heard some people say that maybe they'd be better off using him as a reliever. They don't have great lefty relief, but you know, they'd probably see him as too valuable. As a, you know, they don't really have that number two. I think they want it to be priced. To me, it's not priced. Another guy who I just don't think the name, brand, value lines up with who the pitcher really is.
0: And in the National League, a bane pitcher?
2: This is kind of taking the cheap way out, but if I could get anything for you, Darvish, or Steven Strasburg right now, and I'm saying anything, I would trade them. I don't trust Strasburg as far as I can throw him. I think there's a decent chance that Jarvis won't pitch the rest of the season. Guy pitchers who are hurt, I mean, you you can't really trust them until they come back and give you the show me start. Maybe the Nationals fall out of the race, and then you know Strasburg it isn't a priority to get him back. I forget it. Is this is he in a walk year too? I know everybody's talking about Harper. I can't remember the contract status on Strasburg, but because if, if he's in his walk year, what would they care if he got hurt or not? But um, I, I love to. We talked earlier about trading Bryant all those like get out while you can rules apply much more to me for pitchers and, and so I don't I'd be shocked if Darvish did anything of value and Strasburg I'd be looking for somebody who's a Strasburg sympathizer in your league that it always seems like somebody is and I would I'd would be trying to sell I know it's a sell low well. I know and uh one of the guys I want to talk about John Gray just pitched really well in his first start back and against Houston no less but he's still one of those guys that for whatever reason maybe he's a little bit like Chris Archer that there are all these Advanced secondary and tertiary stats that say John Gray should be better than he is, but he still pitches in Colorado. His year is consistently over five. I, I, I don't want to play that game. I, I, look, He struck out, what, 16 Padres a couple years ago in a home game? I mean, when he has it going, he's unhittable. But I just think that when he doesn't have it going, you get those P, PQS disaster starts. I, I'm saying no to John Gray. I know he's a tease, and on the right day, you think, oh, he's figured it out. Here it comes. I, I don't want any part of him.
0: Scott Pianowski's Baines, Gary Sanchez, Buster Posey, Chris Archer, David Price, Hugh Darvish, Stephen Strasburg, and John Gray. Lots of boons, lots of Baines. Uh, where can our listeners hear more from Scott Pianowski?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, Twitter, uh, 20 to 22 hours a day. That's the best I can do. Uh, Scott underscore Pianowski. Uh, if, if you like to listen to podcasts like this one, there's none better than this one, Patrick. You do such a great job with it. But if uh, you can handle a, a podcast a little bit less good than this one. Uh, Michael Salfino and I, who uh, he's been a guest on your program as well. We do the Breakfast Table podcast, which is a combination of baseball and football. We alternate week to week. Uh, just a heads up that we'll mostly be football f- from now until the end of the football season. But we do do baseball as well. So you know, if you're just a baseball guy, maybe catch us in the spring. And uh, on Yahoo Sports, um, we're, we're open for fantasy football as well. Obviously, we, we run fantasy baseball. We run a bunch of DFS games. We've just added golf. Uh, we have baseball, we have football, all the, all the DFS stuff you want to do. Hockey's not that far away. So uh, catch me on Yahoo, catch me on Twitter, and catch me on the Breakfast Table podcast.
0: Scott, as always, it's been a, a ton of fun, very informative and very interesting. I do appreciate it. Try to catch up with you again uh, during this year. Uh, and I again, thanks very much for participating in the podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Patrick. It's always a blast. And uh, I mean this sincerely, there's not a better uh, podcast host than you, and um, that's why you get the great guests that you do. Um, this week excluded, of course. But, I mean, you know, you're always having great conversations with people. And, you know, I'm, I'm not just a podcast guest. I am a, a very ardent listener because it's just always a great chat. So uh, thanks for having me.
0: Scott Pianowski writes about fantasy sports at Yahoo Sports. When we come back, our weekly talk with Todd Zola and Master Notes, next on Baseball HQ Radio.
2: Let me say something about greenies. First of all, greenies were not performance enhancers. At the best, they allowed a guy with a hangover or somebody who didn't get any sleep that night to be more alert, and he was able to play up to his normal ability. So they were performance-enabling. They were not performance-enhancers. They did not they did not make him a better player than he ordinarily would. That's the difference between
5: amphetamines and these uh, uh, human growth hormones and, and steroids. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's okay. I, I think there should be a ban on
2: amphetamines, too, because they're not healthy. But they have to be put into a different category, uh, you know, than, than the uh, human growth hormones. They're, they're probably something a little bit better than a cup of coffee in terms of the stimulation that you get. So I think you you need to, uh, the baseball needs to make a distinction there.
1: Baseball HQ Radio.
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly talk with Todd. And I'm happy to once again say to Todd Zola, welcome back to the show.
5: Good to be with you, Patrick.
0: Before we get talking about your roto column from uh, a week or so ago, I'd like to ask you about your trip up to Cape Cod. There's a summer league up there. You went to see some games. Uh, first of all, can you briefly describe what is this Cape Cod League and what kind of players are you seeing?
5: Yeah, the Cape Cod League, there's, I don't know the exact number, there's four or five summer leagues that, are composed of college-aged, you know, the 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 cream of the crop of the college. Now they say the Cape Cod is is the top of the list as far as the quality goes, uh, but you know, of course, wherever you are, they're going to say that. But the point being, they're college. I think they're heading into their sophomore or junior year, mostly. A few seniors, but it's mostly players heading into their sophomore and junior year that are, are being sent, and you know, they're, they're from all over the country, and there's no. There's no team affiliation like there is with the AFL and that, you know, each team sends six of their prospects because these these kids uh, haven't been drafted yet. A few of the juniors have been and if they elect to continue to play, they can, but it's it, it, it's undrafted. The league is partially sponsored by MLB, but most of its internal Internally funded uh, uh, donations and the whatnot of, of each each individual league, but it's just it's like an all-star league of college-age players, and I think one of the the, the the catchy points about it is the elegance of it is it's a lot of these kids' first exposure to hitting with a wooden bat at least you know on a regular basis. I'm sure they've all you know swung a wooden bat before, but you know little league through everything, Legion ball, and, and even into college, using the aluminum bats right. or whatever. Whatever metal they're using nowadays, right. uh, whatever whatever uh, alloy. But the point being, it's their first exposure to wooden bats, and it's uh, it, it, it 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 does make it more of a pitcher's league, but it it, it does kind of give a it, to me it, it's a nice little twist. And what kind of stadiums are they playing in? They are actually it's 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 Cape. They are playing on the mostly the high school. The high school fields uh, of the different different townships on the and the Cape. I think there's ten teams and it's split spread through from the from the bridge. Anybody who's been to the Cape, you know, right there's one team that's right before the bridge, all the way to the to the to the tip. So it, it's 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 it, it spread out, but they're basically high school fields, which adds another little element to it. In, in that, most of the games start anywhere between five and seven. So they start they start under dusk or twilight or even a little bit of light at five o'clock but by the end of the game we're talking you know we're we're talking lights and as you can probably imagine the the lighting at a cape cod high school isn't quite the same as as going to a major league park so i was you know you kind of if you're sitting on the left field stands and you're watching the right fielder chase a ball down the line sometimes you have to wonder if he caught it because uh you can't see very well. Though it's just it's not lit very well. I think it just just plays into uh, it's it's known as a pitcher's league. It just plays into another reason why you know we're used to we joke about the AFL being such an offensive. Well, joke we we talk about the AFL being such an offensive league. The Cape Cod League. You know, I I mentioned uh, before we're talking a little bit. I saw three three games in part of a makeup game, and I didn't see a single homer hit. And you know these are high school stadiums, so. You'd think a college-age player, you know, it's not as if they're impossible. And they're looking through the stats, and they, you know, the league leaders had five, six, seven, eight homers, so it wasn't like it didn't occur. I just didn't happen to catch one. Well, not even catch one, but <laughs> didn't happen to see one. And uh, how how long are these kids up there playing? Uh, it's I, they just had the All Star game. Uh, I I missed it. It was the the the, the, the Sunday that the the Sunday of the week I was there. I uh, wasn't able to stay for it because Sunday's my biggest work day. Um, I, I, I guess they have another couple of weeks. I mean, they're, they're going to be going off to college, and good Lord, college starts earlier and earlier than, uh, than ever before. So I'm sure some of the college teams are probably practicing. But um, So another couple of weeks, I'm sure I'll, I'll probably look at the schedule to see when the, the championship is. And if it happens to be on a day where I have a little bit more time, I'm only a couple, I say only. Uh, only as relative uh you know i'm a couple hours from 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 the cape so you know i I went for the part of the week during the all-star break but if uh you know if i may it's 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 if it's close enough um if it's a day i can spare it's close enough that i could drive down there for the championship game which i may do we'll see
0: and before we uh, drop this topic, uh, were there any players whose names you recognized from their college profiles? Uh, some of these kids now are getting pretty uh, widely covered. We all know about Baseball America and there are other online-type publications that do a great job covering the prospects. And these kids' names are getting more widely out there than
5: ever before. Did you see anybody whose name you recognized? No, but I don't. I, I wish I had I, – I actually – I actually noted, th- I think, three names, and I, I, I can, conf- I, you know, we we bring bring it up next week. They're actually in my car. <laughs> I left that notebook in my car. But I mean, I thought uh, there were three players, and I make, I, I, I you know, I kind of make the analogy to softball, where, and when I when I used to play softball, you didn't, you're not familiar with the other team. Sometimes just by warm ups, just by how playing catch, and if they take batting practice or infield, or whatever, you can just pick out the good players just in warm ups. Um, so it's not quite the same cause I was seeing games, but yet they were, you could tell the better players, they, they just separated themselves from the pack. And I wrote they, I did write down three names and the impetus was actually, um, in, in our XFL league, which we occasionally talk about, uh, it's kind of a industry hybrid keeper dynasty league that Ron Chandler runs. And I, I do the SWAT for it are, uh, unfortunately the late Steve Moyer, drafted seth beer and he was uh because of his early high school and early college numbers and none of us had heard of him and i was curious and he sure enough had been at the cape so had i gone to the had i taken this trip and, and in the past couple of years i would have known who our who our good friend steve was drafting so i was like wow maybe maybe i do need to pay attention to to the players that catch my eye so uh it's you know a lot can happen obviously and but um there were a couple of players that you just kind of looked at i mean these are the the cream of the crop in the college but there were a couple that 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 i looked at and said wow i'm gonna uh i'm gonna note these names down because if i need a my last pick in their 17 round supplemental pick and i'm and i'm scouring for a name you know i'm not going to take seth beer first like steve did But maybe I'll take this guy, and who who knows? Worst case, I drop him and replace him with a reserve. But, you know, you never know.
0: I remember Steve drafted Seth beer, I think, before Seth could legally drink beer. Uh, he was a very young player at the time, and that's one of the interesting things about the XFL. We might have to talk about that in a future podcast, because it's a very interesting format with extremely deep reserves and minor league rounds. It's a really interesting league, and it's fun to talk about. Uh, on to your RotoWire column. You, you write a column at, at the RotoWire website, a couple of different things, but you had a column on uh, last Friday, July the 20th, talking about some things that you noticed about the the uh, season up up until the All-Star break began. And your first topic, you just said, hey, Javier Baez is good. And I laughed because, like, no kidding, right? And, of course, you knew that as well, and you were a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But you were making a bigger point about how Javier Baez is good, and I thought it was real interesting. What were you saying about Javier Baez?
5: Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we know Javier Baez is good. He's, all, he's He's good for the game. I didn't realize how well he was playing. I didn't realize you know, when I when I ran my uh, to the to the break numbers that he was actually the number one producer to, to this point in the National League. Part of it's because you know you know we completely we play DFS and just from other reasons we know that Baez doesn't play every day. He's sort of subject to the whims of Joe Madden, and even if he is the best player on the team. He still sits for you know whatever reason so it just it, it caught me it caught me a little bit off guard that yeah I know he's good I didn't realize he's a number one player so that that, that was kind of the, the the point there and and there was nothing nothing in the number you know we, we talk about skills a lot of times we, we we talk about them like they're static but like anything there, there's a range of performance there's a range of skills. So when I, you know, when I looked at numbers, or right, why is he doing this? Is, you know, is he lucky? The old proverbial, is he lucky? All of his skills sort of, I mean, they were good. And it to me, what happened is they're all at sort of the top of the expected range, every single skill. Now, you know, you don't often get a player where every potential skill is at, at, at the max. But, you know, he was just doing it simultaneously. And, you know... I don't think there was any luck involved. And I'm sure there, there may be a little bit of regression, a little bit of, of some of the skills. But you can't say, well, he's not going to sustain that home run for a bly ball or or that hip is just through the roof or, or whatever. That he was just playing at, you know, at the 90th percentile of all his skills and continues to do so. You said
0: you were most surprised in all of his numbers by the 72 RBIs that he took into the break. And why was that such a surprise to you?
5: Well, I, I it was more of of I, a little bit of naivety to the fact that he's been hitting cleanup a lot, but just the, the, the fact that he was leading, and he was missing, miss I would say missing games. He just didn't doesn't didn't play as much, and the Cubs offense, you know, Rizzo's having a bit of a down year, and they did, the offense just didn't seem as prolific. But the oddity. Was like okay, I figured. I say this to myself. Well, what I'll bet he, I'll bet he's got a really high batting average with runners in scoring position. And being that that people think there's clutch, well, it, there's really not such thing as a clutch. The uh, the batting average of runners in scoring position, league wide, is usually a couple points higher than the the overall average. And I surmise that's just because pitchers are going from the from, the, uh, from the, the stretch more, and the uh, numbers improve a little bit from hitters from the stretch, and maybe some defensive alignments. They have the infield in or holding a runner on, and it just it just avails some more hits. Uh, oddly enough, in Baez's case, his batting average runner in scoring position was lower than his average, yeah. so using that sort of as an argument, one could say he was actually a little unlucky as far as uh, run production goes, and he could have had more than 72 RBI. So it's a, that, that's just kind of it, or it just or the other. I didn't actually look at this, but it may just that may be balanced. He just may have had an, an, an inordinate amount of opportunities. There just may have been ducks on the pond at a higher rate. So maybe he was lucky in that area. I don't know. But uh, the just the little point being that that that, that not only is seventy two impressive, he could have had eighty, and it would have still fallen within the range of expectation.
0: That was kind of amazing, and I, and I'll bet you when you look into it, if you decide to, that you will find he had an inordinate number of uh, of scoring opportunities, uh, just coming to coming up to bat with players on base, right. and uh, you know, home runs and extra base hits will even drive them in from first, and he, he probably was a little bit fortunate in that regard. RBIs is a team set. after all, you can't drive in runners who aren't out there. I thought that was interesting. You mentioned uh, Joe Madden's managerial style which seems to mitigate against a guy like Baez having a really terrific year. He was, uh, you said, in 92 of the Cubs' first 94 games, Baez played. But he's only 79th in the National League in plate appearances. That seems remarkable. But I wondered, Todd, could it be that by Baez being removed from unfavorable situations, we have to assume that's why he's not in the lineup because Madden and the team's brain trust think he is at a disadvantage somehow – could that be helping Bias put up better numbers because he's removed from those unfavorable situations where he might not be able to produce as efficiently?
5: Whether it's unfavorable or simply uh, just a rotation, it's just his turn to sit, so you can get a guy like Ben Zobrist in the lineup. I don't know. Now the you know there's two you know so yeah there perhaps yeah perhaps it's unfavorable perhaps they're sitting him against a pitcher. I'm sure that they use too far small a sample for batter versus pitcher data. And I'll I'll bet he makes a lot of decisions based on that erroneous data. But still, whatever, he decides to sit him. So there's the potential of of being sat in a difficult situation. But, you know, the the other two aspects of it, you know, not playing every day, well, maybe it's keeping him fresher. Maybe it's keeping him healthier. Maybe it's keeping him even hungrier because he just wants to get back in there. Um, You know, the other end of it, though, is sometimes – you know, and he's, I guess the, the positive is he's able to do without losing focus. You know, some of these players that don't play all the time, you know, when they come back in, are they as focused? Are they as sh- tuned in? And he's able to maintain this high level of, of, of focus, even though, you know, kind of alluded to earlier, he's good for the game because, you know, obviously he's having some fun. But he just knows when to turn it on and turn it off. Uh, I just It's just so impressive that he's able to keep this extremely high level of play even you know when he maybe had a two hit game or the homer and he's on the bench the next day, uh, he, he's still able to maintain this 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 level with these intermittent off days. So it's, it's it, the fact that he you know the slash line is the slash line. But as far as fantasy purposes go, the runs in the RBI, uh, that that's the the factor so high missing some games. Now he said he played ninety two out of ninety four. He's either getting a pinch hit appearance or he's coming in for defense right, yep. in a lot of these games. I think he started seventy nine, so I think he st- at the time started seventy nine. And well, no, seventy nine was the was the number was the, the the plate appearance. But he, he actually had started in that range too. And w- one of the reasons he was down in plate appearances a bit is because the Cubs at the time had played fewer games. Now they made up two of them right away with that Thursday. Uh, solo game against the cards and then a double header but they're still they're still trailing some of the other teams and games played so part of the 79th but still the point being you know for a guy hitting near the top of a really prolific order he should be in the top 20 with played appearances I think when it all flushes out he'll be in the 50 range and he's still going to be really pounding up those counting stats
0: I wonder if the Cubs, they spend, like all the advanced teams, spend a good number of dollars on their uh, statistical analysis and with uh, you know quant guys and math PhDs and stuff all beavering away behind the scenes trying to figure stuff out that we don't know about. Could it be that the uh, the um, pitcher versus batter data that they're working from is a little more advanced than we're used to? And I'm thinking of, uh, you're familiar with what Vince Gennaro of uh, Sabre was trying to figure out, which was, Pitcher type versus batter type, and saying you know if we can figure out there's a there's a you know a group of um, genotypes for want of a better term in among pitchers, not just left-handed pitcher, but left-handed pitcher who throws across his body and starts on the first base side of the rubber and throws mostly sinkers. Now all of a sudden you're getting a wider range of data for that batter to be compared against, and maybe they're doing something like that, which is giving the uh, giving the club a chance to really optimize how their players are matched up against pitchers, not just pitcher by pitcher, but pitcher kind by pitcher kind.
5: Perhaps no, it's absolutely. I mean, it was out there. We haven't, you know. I would think that if there was a follow up study that shows that it's there, it would be published and we know about it. But a lot of times, you know, it still could be in the works, and they there's nothing that says you can't, be, you can't publish it and say this is the way it is until you have the data. But nothing that says you can't use the partial data to, you know, interpret it as you wish. So perhaps you know, there's a there's a good chance that some of that has happened. now. Baez being a being such a free swinger, uh, it's gonna, I'm not sure. If there's a if there is someone that, that you know he's just one of those such fast hands and can get inside the ball and all these sorts of things, I don't <laughs> how, how applicable this would be for him but absolutely I, 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 you know I think we both know that the data that the that the clubs have is a little bit more in depth than what either you or I can scrape off the web.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that the teams are developing that be- becomes proprietary. Uh, earlier during the break, I read the, uh, the book called The Arm by Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports. I don't know if you've read mm-hmm. it. And uh, towards the end, he was talking about a guy, and I don't remember his name, who was doing some really interesting research work in the realm of you know how to pre- prevent arm injury and so forth. And he was doing it in a relatively public way. Then he got hired by the Dodgers and all of a sudden all that work that's getting done is is now behind the their their paywall so to speak it's not publicly available anymore and mm-hmm. i wonder if the uh, if the cobbs and other teams might be more advanced than we are in the sabermetric community and in the fantasy analysis community in understanding how pitchers match up with kinds of batters and batters match up with kinds of pitchers i think that'll be interesting and i i know there's being work being done in the public sphere about that and i'd be very curious to to see how it all works out. Uh, You also said in the column that youth is being served this season. You mentioned uh, a lot of young players came up, uh, either started the season with their teams like Scott Kinger or came up very early and immediately started having an impact. And I thought it was interesting uh, towards the end of talking about the individual players. uh, You had uh, Jake Bowers of the Rays, Willie Adamas, uh, Glaber Torres, and Miguel Andujar, of course. All these guys who were having an impact. And then you said, this introduces a new wrinkle to how we draft our reserves and manage our fab in a fantasy sense. What did you mean?
5: Yeah, we've we've, we've talked about this. I think, um, I think we were both a little prescient in this area, in that um, talking about do you hoard in a, specifically in AL and NL only, and to mix in a certain extent too. Do you uh, what this does is, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll stick with AL, AL and NL only. Do you do you hoard your fab? For the potential Manny Machado uh, trade at the deadline, which may or may not occur, we still haven't had anybody of, of of significance come over in the AL, and that's the only really big NL move. Uh, or you know, do you how do you go with dealing with the Fab early in in the league? And it, it it's it's kind of come about that there's sort of a it's not a trade deadline, but there's sort of a a couple of weeks period where a lot of these. Prospects are getting promoted, whether it be the, the Super Two deadline or, or the, the other the, the, to get the extra year. But there's kind of two internal deadlines, you know, two or three weeks into the season, and then June when the uh, when the, the time is supposedly elapsed for these players to be over Super Two. So it, it's kind of a sec, uh, another target date where there could be some uh, potentially uh, impact type players coming into the league so it just it it's kind of you know when I, when I have my fab uh I'm going to you know space specifically attention to those couple of weeks and maybe I'm going to spend it more at that time than I am going to hoard it for July when you don't even know if a player's coming up I be, I think what we've noticed is the number of 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 minor leaguers has been gradually growing whether whether this year was just such an exceptional year with the quality whether teams are just becoming looser and more willing to go with the youth, I, I think it's a little bit of both in most of these situations. I just think it's, it's a great freshman class, and teams like the Yankees just are more willing. You with know, with the Endahar and Torres, there, they're just w- more willing to rely on such young players, more more reliant than than in previous seasons. So to me, and, and you know, jumping ahead where I, where I was going before with the mixed league, you know, they're really there isn't a trading deadline in, in the mix. We don't have to worry about the trading deadline because they're in the same league. But it does introduce a time where you want to you, know, you want to have money in the mix. League. Like you don't want to go completely off the rails early because when June comes up, there could be some minor leaguers or there will be some minor leaguers that get promoted, and you want to make sure that you're in the running to get to get the Jake Bowers, whoever it might be, next season.
0: The other aspect of it I think that's interesting, and this is particularly true in only leagues, but I wonder if you think it might actually start happening in mixed leagues as well. I tend to not think so, but in uh, Tout American League this year, my league that I play in, I can think of at least three or four minor league players who were not on 25-man rosters at the start of the season who were picked up for money. In the auction, Uh, um, Teoscar Hernandez was a bought player, and I think he went for six or seven bucks in the early part, maybe a little less than that. And I know Gleber Torres, if he wasn't bought at auction, was definitely picked up in the reserve round. So he was on a a fantasy roster uh, before he ever got onto a 25-man roster, and that was because the uh, the teams that are looking at them are saying in the case of toronto i see a lot of weak outfielders in toronto and uh, i wouldn't be at all surprised to see teoscar hernandez i think anthony alford was also drafted in reserve and uh maybe somebody was looking at the yankees infield and said you know uh, the, the second base situation there doesn't look all that promising with taylor wade or or whatever his name was uh, i drafted him in the reserve round myself and maybe somebody looked at him and said you know what I can see this guy not being on the roster three weeks into the season because he just can't play, and if that's the case, I can see Gleber Torres on the roster. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll the dice and grab him in my reserve round rather than waiting for a fab opportunity. At which point, uh, you know, we're all kind of flying blind and having to make bids.
5: Yeah, and, and I think um, uh, now just to be fair, Tiago Hernandez actually had a really good September last year. Uh, I think that came up in a column I did a week previous. So just, I mean, but but the the point is taken with Anthony Alford and and Torres and the whatnot. And I um I I, I talked about this too because you know I, it's already it, it did change the way I look at things. Uh, I went back over my tout, I do I do the NL tout. I went back over my NL reserve picks from the past three or four years, and I went through you know, the, we pick four per league, and I like I didn't use this guy. This guy's terrible. I never I dropped him. You know, I didn't find a single reserve. Maybe it has to do with my picking of reserves. But I was always someone that would pick a, you know, the the, the utility infielder of the Padres and the uh, a speculative closer and the one. that I wouldn't take the minor leaguers. The point being, I had come into the season saying I, I, I'm going to draft some minor leaguers because I'm not using that resp- reserve spot anyway. I'm going to be one of the guys that, that that takes a minor leaguer and buries him. As it turns out. I, uh, I actually purchased my minor leaguers in Scott Kingery and David Dahl. Uh, so what I had, I, I just because they came up on the auction, like, oh, that's the guy I wanted to to pick. I'm going to have to bid on him. But the point being, you know, I, I anticipated at the time Kingery being sent down, and you know, having to backfill him, and, and the same with Dahl. So I, I it just didn't work out quite as planned. I had to pay for him. But the point being, I was willing to bury the minor leaguer. Uh, one of the two of them ended up playing, obviously, and and Dahl we don't know about yet. But the point being. Even coming into this season, though the writing was on the wall, but I think at this point it's not just people. You know, I happen to look at the Fabs every week because I do the reports. I think it's. I think more and more uh, of our the competitors and in, in, in leagues like this are going to be willing to put a minor leaguer on a uh, on the roster on the on the reserve. And I think I think even a guy like Juan Soto uh, can feed into that in that there's no way that so you know this is ron chandler's thing play playing time opportunity coming in you know there's just there's no way they're going to call juan soto up they've got you know they've got victor roble's they've got all these other guys well you know a confluence of, uh, of events occurred and juan soto is still playing to this day so uh playing very well so even even a guy that we look at and we say there's no way this team is going to call up so and so i don't think you can say that anymore
0: and finally todd uh This all has ramifications, of course, for fantasy players, but we also have to try to think our way through a different issue, and that is this year has been a cornucopia of these young players, and that was the point that you were making in the column. And uh, a lot of teams seem to be much more willing to call up their players earlier than usual, even though it has long-term costs as far as service time and arbitration eligibility for agency and so forth. How likely is it that teams will continue to be aggressive in promoting young players like this, or was this kind of a one-off just because of the level of talent this year?
5: I think it's, I think it's a combination. I think that it, it in it, it is such a great class, and as it turns out, a guy like Ntsoni and and uh, they still could come up a Michael Kopech or a Eloy Jimenez. Uh, I think next year's class is going to be pretty solid too. I think it's going to be. I, I think teams are going to be more willing to do it. But I also think we just happen to be in a. In a really, we just happen a really sweet spot as far as a lot of young players being ready during the same season. But you know, you can even go to a, you know, a Freddie Peralta and a Shane Bieber. These are uh, you know young pitchers that and Joey Lucchese that all these clubs expected them to be contributors, but uh, they're they're willing to go to these guys over a washed up. You know, well Tommy Malone's coming up today for Stras uh, coming up. He pitched this week for. uh uh, he happened to ha- he came up this week for Strasburg, but the point being they're, they're, they're willing to go to these younger pitchers as opposed to organizational filler. And I think, you know, I, I, so I do think that if maybe, you know, I think that, 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 that they're loosening up the reins. It's just, you know, the talent has to be there, but I I do think teams are going to be willing to promote the younger players a little bit sooner, you know, with the caveat that they're worthy.
0: I think so too, because the, the, the worthiness of the player used to be second fiddle, right? Do you, they had lots of yeah. teams had minor leaguers that we knew could play and they just weren't bringing them up because they didn't want to pay them the seventh year or whatever it is, looking that far down the road. And I think maybe uh, cooler heads are prevailing and they're looking at the situation and going, you know what? Like you said, we can bring up this fine young pitcher in our system who's ready to go in our in our estimation, or we can pay Tommy Malone four and a half million bucks because that's what a seasoned <laughs> veteran gets and not get the same level of production it's 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 you know penny wise and pound foolish at that point yeah we're going to six years from now we're going to have to pay a little more f- to keep this guy on the roster or or lose him, but uh you know, for right now, I'd rather pay the minimum, whatever it is, five fifty or whatever it is, instead of ten times that and getting a, a pitcher that's markedly better for the much lower price.
5: Not to mention, I wonder if any you know, the, the, you know each of these. You know, what's the expression? There's no such thing as a healthy pitcher; it's just a pitcher waiting to get injured. Do you want some of these guys using up their healthy bullets in AAA? Right. Or do you want to you know if the guy's going to get hurt anyway? At least, you know, let's, let's have him throw those pitchers in the majors. So I wonder if there's, you know, kind of just kind of settling in the fact that they're going to get hurt. So if he's better than my journeyman guy, let's get some of those bullets pitched at the major league level. So at least, you know, at least we got something out of it before he got hurt. I don't think that that's a huge factor, but it, it may be. I think that there's something to that.
0: I think so, too. And there's uh, also we've seen evidence that among all players, hitters and pitchers, Kind of uh, from the time they join the, the big leagues, they just start going downhill. So you might as well get them at the top of the hill sooner so that somebody mm-hmm. else can pay $9 million in free agency for the, uh, for the latter part of the hill. Uh, there's a lot of valuation questions. They're all really interesting. Your column was super. I, I recommend it highly at Rotowire. It was, came out on Friday, the uh, 20th of July. And we'll talk to you again next week, Todd. Thanks a million. Excellent. Looking forward to it, uh, Patrick. Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire, and appears here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball, and this week I want to talk about arbitrary endpoints. On Monday of this week, I was watching a Blue Jays telecast on Sportsnet, a national sports network here in Canada. During the game, the producers put an infographic on the screen describing how one of the Jays' hitters I'm sorry, I don't remember who had a batting average above three hundred and some other pretty impressive rate stats. This struck me as odd, since I knew the rate stats of the hitter in question had generally been pretty unimpressive, like the rate stats of almost all the Jays hitters except Justin Smoke and maybe Teoscar Hernandez. The top batting average among qualified hitters at the time was Aledmas Diaz at two fifty four. Five regular hitters sported on-base percentages under 300. Nine had isolated power under 200. Ah, but there's the fine print. The stats in question were not for the full season. They were for the period that ran from June 3rd through July 22nd, the day before the game being televised. I went and counted, and that was a span of 50 days, during which the team played 42 games. Now, you might argue that each regular hitter had about 150 plate appearances during the period, which seems like a large enough sample. It turns out that 150 PAs is well short of sufficient for most rate stats. Batting average requires about 1,000, on base percentage about 450, and so on. Even at that, Russell Carlton, who came up with the stability point idea for rate stats, later clarified that stability doesn't mean the metric perfectly describes an established player's skill over the period, and it certainly doesn't predict the metric in equal periods to come. It meant only that the metric would be stable if the games in the period were to be replayed. The same opponents, the same pitchers, the same parks, the same weather, etc., But even if 150 plate appearances were a big enough sample, there's still a question that demands to be answered. Why those particular 50 days? This issue is often described as arbitrary endpoints, which refers to the likelihood that if you picked two other endpoints for a fixed length of time, you'd probably get a different outcome. And in the case of a Sportsnet telecast, like many, the producers are employed by the same company that owns the team, so they might have an incentive to carefully choose the endpoints that make a player look like he's better or more productive than he actually is. Or, as my uncle used to say, they're trying to spit-shine a hobo's gumboot. But I had to admit to myself that I don't actually know that a sample of 50 days, 42-ish games, and 150-ish plate appearances is neither descriptive nor predictive in all those metrics. So I checked. I looked at the stats for Jays hitters who had at least 100 plate appearances in two different 50-day periods. One of the periods was the sample whose endpoints were arbitrarily chosen by Sportsnet, June 3rd to July 22nd. The endpoints of the other period were arbitrarily chosen by the random function in my trusty Excel workbook and turned out to be from April 21st through June 10th. The Jays played 46 games during that span. I compared the player metrics from the two periods, using four performance metrics, batting average, OPS, ISO, and home runs per 600 plate appearances, as well as two skills metrics, walk rate and strikeout rate. The results pretty much confirmed my hypothesis that there wouldn't be strong similarities between the players' metrics in the two periods, but in a couple of them, the disparities weren't especially wide either. So here's the skinny. The biggest differences in performance metrics between the two periods were in the players' isolated power stats, with only two players coming within 10% of their period 1 marks in period 2. Teoscar Hernandez and Aledmas Diaz were those two players. The others showed much larger differences, some of them over 50% in both directions. Kendris Morales was at 135 in period one, 241 in period two, a gain of 78%, while Russell Martin was minus 52% between the two periods. And it went like that. Walk rate was a bit of a surprise. Plate discipline is a skill, right? Once a player displays a skill... Well, you know the rest, and if you don't, please immediately turn in your Ron Chandler secret decoder ring. But the question is whether displaying a skill is possible when the sample is 46 games, when swings of 40-plus percent can and do occur, and the smallest change is more than 25 percent. Yandervis Solardi almost doubled his walk rate between the two periods, from around 3 percent to just under 6, an 88 percent gain, while Kevin Pilar went minus 84 percent dropping from 5% walk rate down to about one. And the rest of them were like that, down to the least change, which was Justin Smokes' drop from 18% to 13%, a minus 27% change. Contrast the walk rate with strikeouts, which were much more consistent, with five of the eight hitters landing within 10% in the two periods. Teoscar Hernandez, the exception, he struck out a lot more at 47% extra, while Kevin Pillar stayed pretty much the same. At just minus 2%, going from around 18 to just under 17. The performance metric with the narrowest differences was OPS, where the largest variance was 50% and six of the players were under 10%. Kendris Morales again with that plus 50% change going from 605 to 910, while Teoscar Hernandez was plus one percent and Justin Smoke was minus one percent. By the way, what got into Kendras Morales? That might have been an injury recovery, but we'll leave inventing narratives to Sportsnet's producers. Surprisingly, given the narrow OPS results, the home runs per 600 plate appearances showed a lot of variation. Kendrys Morales again doubled his rate from 16 homers per 600 to 32, while at the far end, Kevin Pillar stayed pretty much the same, around 19 to around 18. Finally, another relatively low change performance metric was batting average, where four of the hitters were again under 10% variance, and only one hitter, Morales again, showed a variance of more than 17%. Morales was at 203 in period 1 for his batting average, 293 in period 2 for a gain of 44%. Down at the bottom, Teoscar Hernandez went from 243 to 250, a change of just plus 3%. The hitter with the widest discrepancies in all of this was obviously Morales, so I went one step further and made a spreadsheet of every game in his career through Tuesday's games, then calculated his rolling 50-day averages and some of those metrics. What they showed was very wide variance in all the stats. I'll just talk about four for now. In batting average, his maximum was 361 for a 50-day average. His minimum, just 184. His median was 271, and his actual career, 269. Home runs per 600, 49 for a maximum, 3 for a minimum, the median 23, and his career mark, 24. Walk rate, 14% to 3% high to low, a 7% median and a 7% career. And strikeout rate, 28% for a maximum, 11% for a minimum, the median 18%, and the career mark 19%. Just so you know, the 50-day results in this little research effort are also 50-game results because the baseball reference database doesn't put blank lines in for days the player wasn't in the lineup. It just skips the date entirely for that player. Also, keep in mind that career results are based on 1,260 games played for Kendris Morales, while the others are those 50-day rolling averages. But it should come as no surprise that when you take the median of all the 50-day results, it tracks pretty closely with career numbers. But there's only one conclusion to be drawn. You look at the outcomes from a 50-ish game sequence, you're not going to get a truly representative picture of player performance from any single one. So if someone in your league pitches you a questionable player because, hey, he's batting three ten since Bastille Day, or hey, he has a seven eighty one OPS since my granny's birthday, or some other such arbitrary period, thank him politely for the offer, say you'll think about it, and assess the situation for yourself. Either that or send his resume to your local team's TV broadcaster. Apparently they like that sort of clear thinking. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes Columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox in the weekly free Baseball HQ e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. You can also read Master Notes for free at the Baseball HQ website. And, of course, we also have Master Notes right here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. (laughs) And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, July the 27th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 28 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I want to thank our guest for this Friday full edition, Scott Pianowski, who writes about fantasy sports and very well indeed for Yahoo Sports. Scott is one of my favorite guests on the podcast and a heck of a nice guy to boot. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our Minor League Minute was presented by Baseball HQ Minor Leagues Analyst Rob Gordon, and our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ Analyst Alex Becky. Thanks as well and as always to Todd Zola, our guest on Talk with Todd. I'm Patrick Davitt, your Master Notes commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook, and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow me on my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your pods, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and rating. It really does help us gather new listeners, and that helps us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Friday with another full edition of the Podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long.
3: Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.